Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready to make 2023 your best September elk season yet? If you answered yes, my friends, you are in the right place. From the Western Huntsman Podcast and brought to you by Phelps Game Calls, welcome to the School of September, the most comprehensive September elk hunting podcast on the planet. Listen in to some of the world's most prolific elk hunters joining us to talk about strategy, calling elk, spot and stock, and closing the deal on some of our wildest dreams. From the Broken Time Studio to your knowledge toolbox, let's get one step closer to notching that tag. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of School of September for June 2023. Today is June 15th. It is a, uh, you know, kind of rainy day here in Clark Fork, Idaho at the Broken Time Studio, but I appreciate you guys uh, joining me and, and uh Tuning in because this uh, this episode, as you guys know, with School of September, uh, again, I go through this every episode, but we always have a lot of new listeners with this series. So School of September is the idea of having kind of building that mental toolbox so that when you're out in the woods in September and you're in different scenarios as they as they come up, you're going to have some information that you could dig out of your toolbox to know how to seal the deal. And uh, we've got a fan favorite for this month, and he's he's a friend of mine. He's been on the show many times. I I think I even wrote a song for him and played it one time. And uh, <laughs> I am uh, really happy to and and proud to call him my friend, and uh, happy to welcome back Joe Gillia of the Elk Bros. How you doing, brother? I'm great, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, man, we gotta gotta hear that song again. But <laughs> I know you know what awesome. you know the bummer is the only way to listen to it now is on that old episode because I I yeah, had yeah. I had it on my it was downloaded to my laptop and that that particular laptop died in my elk hunting truck fire last season. So oh, dude, <laughs> so and, I, you know, Jim, you are like the ultimate survivor, man. I mean, it, fire and ice. Uh, that's oh, only thing I could say. Fire and ice. I mean, between what you went through with the truck and what you went through on that hunt, and you know uh, the kind of winter that you guys endured this year, homesteading out there in a fifth wheel, and you know you had that you know living room tent set up and trying to keep. Oh my gosh, you, that, you oh, know that thing came down like Chinatown in the snow, man. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah. The wall oh, tent. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, man. And and I was like, I hope he saved the flat screen. That's you oh know man, how guy is right. <laughs> That's funny you say that because you know we had like a couple of outdoor couches in there and like a dining room mm-hmm. table it was it was just a place to kind of stretch out outside of the fifth wheel and right. um it came so the tent came down the snow was we had this like i don't remember how many days it, it went but it was just going and going and going and when it's snowing i have to rotate between uh keeping the driveway plowed uh because if it builds up too much i i run out of room uh to push snow so it's like mm-hmm. that's constantly going and then i'm brushing snow off the wall tent roof so it doesn't collapse and i'm 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 pushing snow over there and making sure water lines aren't freeze all this stuff it's it's just this rotation all day well i finally got to the point i couldn't keep up with it tent comes down and i'm like well there's so much snow had built up on top of it there was no rescuing it or trying to dig it out and put it back up or anything so spring comes, it finally melts all the snow. I, I kind of get it half set back up. 
the dang TV still works and everything inside was dry. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, I was I like, man, it. I hope you saved the flat screen. Typical dude. You know? I, I did. I did. But on purpose, that was one of our old flat screens. It's still a really heavy one, you know? And so, uh-huh. um, yeah, no, it, it was crazy, man. It still worked and, and, uh, we're, we're surviving. Do what you got to do, you, you go. know? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. Like I said, uh, uh, hats off to you, man. Um, oh, thank you. And still, and you haven't missed a beat. I mean, still out there hunting. I see the photos of you and the daughters out there, which are tremendous. I think that's awesome, bud. Oh, thanks, um, man. You know, you're keeping this rocking and rolling. The school of September's going, you know, and, and you're doing a full-time job at the same time. And, you know, people don't realize I don't think they can really grasp. How long have you been in the fifth wheel in the homestead there? Uh, it is going to be exactly two years next week. Two years, man. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think people could fathom, you know, moving a family into a fifth wheel up into a piece of property up in the wilderness type of area up there. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the things that you have to constantly deal with and go through. So, and still being able to do everything else that you do and, and without you guys tearing each other's heads off, that's impressive, man. <laughs> well, no, nobody, nobody's claiming that we're not tearing each other's heads off. <laughs> no, no <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, you know, the, the thing, I appreciate you saying all that, but the, the, the big thing with that is I, I have role models, man, like you, uh, people that motivate oh. me to, to, you know, keep my head down and keep moving forward. And we got, we've got some changes coming up and, uh, it's going to be good and, and we'll awesome. see, we'll see how it goes, brother. Yeah, so. I, I know with good things happen to good people, Jim, it'll be a win-win. I'm sure. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But, um, all you could do is just keep going, you know, and, and that's uh, it. Keep and, grinding. And I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm proud of my kiddos, man. They keep going and they, they keep grinding and, and they're about to get a bear, man. I know any minute we, we've got bears coming into the barrels, the bait sites and, uh, oh, yeah. but they're, they're not coming in when we're there. So we've been a little limited this week in how much hunting time we have, but that's about to change. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. Uh, I can't wait that's for them awesome, to get man. their first bear. So, um, today is June 15th. And mm-hmm. it is, uh, that puts us at two and a half months until September. Yep. Are, let me ask you a question. Are you going to go elk hunting this year? Absolutely, dude. So <laughs> uh, I'm actually checking off a bucket list item that happened. Um, my wife, when I was 50, I'm 61 now. Um, when I was 50, my wife gave me a check to be able to go do my bucket list item, which was to hunt a moose or a caribou. Um, one of those Northern critters up there with my bow, Mm -hmm. Uh, this was when I turned 50 and, um, here I am 61. I've never checked that off. And man, part of the problem has been Jim is that I could have done it and gone by myself several times and done this. But I think, I think as a lot of people, a lot of people might, you know, associate with this, as you get older, it's not, look, the hunt is awesome, but for me, the camaraderie, I'm sorry, camaraderie and sharing those moments and memories with other folks is, is more what I'm about. And, you know, I, I mean, I could have gone by myself, but now, uh, it might've taken 11 years, but it's so cool because the elk bros group, so the six of us, so it's me, Chav, RC, the Mafia, and Gilbert, 
-hmm. We're all going to Alberta, Canada, and we're pairing up with the Wapiti River crew. And uh, we're going to be hunting elk and moose up in Alberta uh, at the beginning of end of August, beginning of September. Oh, no so, way. Yeah, I am so pumped, man. How much and, fun uh, is that going to be, man? Can, can you awesome. imagine what that, oh, that camp is going to be so much fun, man. Ah. I mean, we, we've already got, it's funny because we already have this WhatsApp group where all of us communicate and jab and talk and everything back and forth. And mm -hmm. it's funny to see the dynamics of that group and the dynamics of our group and how you have those similar characters, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's going to be fun, man. Oh, I'm that's so going to be a ball. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm excited for you, man. That, that'll that be that'll be an interesting hunt, too, having having both an elk tag and a moose tag that time yeah. of year, too. Uh, that yeah. should be a ball. Are you going to try to call a moose in? Or is that that's a little so, early, isn't it? Yeah, it's a little early. Um, but, you know, it's even like early elk. You know, when elk are silent, you just got to use your, your hunting skill set and you know, a moose is a big critter and, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just planning on doing my thing, using my hunting skill set, listening to my brothers from up North up there and giving me my advice on what to do and just running with it. So, yeah. um, yeah, I, I want to get up tight, close and personal to one of them big critters and, uh, and that will be the experience of a lifetime for me. So it's going to, that's uh, going to be a hoot either way. Whether the elk are screaming or not. I don't know, man. Um, the last couple, I'd say two years, two seasons, mm -hmm. some of my best action uh, in, in terms of vocal elk have mm -hmm. happened the last couple of days of August, first couple of days of September. Now, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the problem is, is they're not, they're, they're curious, but they're not like, you mm -hmm. know, they're not wanting to fight. They're not wanting to breed. They're just, they're curious to, you know, figuring out this pecking order thing or something and, and they're they're super chatty and it's not the big guys it's the it's the raghorns or maybe a small six point or something that'll get uh get kind of fired up and and come check you out but that's been the last couple of years and it's funny because for like five years before that i couldn't buy a bugle before about september 10th mm -hmm. and so right. it's just been interesting i don't know what changes year to year or maybe it's just dumb luck i've i've walked into them you know early well yeah i, I think it happens to be you know whether or not you're in the presence, it's like the tree that falls in the forest, man, because, uh, you know, in this will be my 41st season. And I can tell you that generally that September 1st, 2nd, 3rd, or the first days of the hunt are pretty lit. You usually have, mm -hmm. and, and I have had um, herd bulls, big bulls that we've had a cow come in estrus early like that. Cause some of those older ones that are staying current, you know, with their pattern will do that. And, uh, I've had bulls go nuts. I mean, I killed a shoot. I, I killed a bull um, two years ago that was a toad, man. I mean, he had a head like a uh, a five year old steer, man. I mean, it was really? huge and just a big bull <laughs> that, that came in. And I mean, he was ticked. He had seven other bulls around him. A curse, of course. Those were you know, a bachelor group at one point, but as soon as they hear something that, that lights up like that, all heck breaks loose. And yeah, we killed, in fact, that morning, that was September 2nd, uh -huh. I killed my bull just a little bit after daylight. And within 45 minutes, we bring another one in out of that commotion and Chav kills. We have two bulls on the ground dead 
first day, September 2nd, and all of them screaming and going nuts. Wow. So, Was it bugles yeah. or cow calls that got them worked up? So it started out with a cow call that responded, and then I gave just a little bit of a, a, a low vocal of a bull, and then this guy screams at me, man, and when he does, I cut him off, and all of a sudden things went nuts at that point, and there were enough bulls in the area that uh, they started to add to it. I think at one point, Chap could see because I actually had him set up. The whole goal was for him to have first shot. Mm -hmm. And so I set him up and I go back to where I had a lower elevation where I dropped away. Um, I could just barely see Chab with my eyes. And, and then I couldn't really see the elk out in front of him, but I could see him and how he was reacting. I watched my hunter. And as I'm, as I'm doing that, because I'm behind that hill, I'm starting to throw my calls back there and he could see seven bulls seven bulls coming in and they were actually starting to circle and actually try to circle me. So as they started to do that, I just went the opposite direction back behind in that lower elevation and just kept going around trying to almost like kind of a record player type deal, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, just trying to pull them to me and by him and, and it absolutely worked. The only problem was the bull went by him. This one bull goes by him at a little jog by the time he got drawn back and Chad doesn't keep a diaphragm in his mouth. And so that was one, uh, you know, failure point for him, but the bull ends up going by him. I'm up on top of a ridge by this point calling and I have my bow at my feet, man. I'm just getting ready to start raking because the rake was really. And Chad said, when that bull heard me rake up there, he runs over to this juniper and just starts blowing it up. And he's watching all of this, right? Uh -huh. And then the bull comes in and starts jogging straight towards me. Well, I've got my bow at my feet. And all of a sudden I'm looking and I see a bull coming. My, I see tips of horns at first down in the bottom, a good 120, 150 yards away, working up, looking my direction, eating a little bit. And, and that's the other thing too, that, you know, is a good point to remember is bulls can be coming into you, but they're still doing it in their time mm -hmm. and how they feel about it. And this bull was, you know, he'd take a bite here and there, and then he'd look up and he'd keep coming forward. And he ends up coming into me. I'm, I have my bow at my feet when I first see him. Well, you know, one thing I try to teach people is if you don't get yourself in position to be able to make a shot, nothing's going to die. So I only have one choice. I got to pick my bow up and I got to get in front of the tree that's in front of me. And I've got to get myself some shooting lanes. So I proceed to do that as that bull's coming in. And, you know, they're like, well, you're risking him seeing you. Well, what's going to be the result if I don't do something, right? I'm just going to watch him walk by me. So I pick up my bow. I get around in front, and he ends up coming up to me 18 yards. And uh, while he's bugling, that was the coup de gracie. When he bugled, I popped him, and that was bull number one on the ground. Oh, that sweet. So, yeah. Did you guys, did awesome, you guys film that one? We did not. In fact, that's the thing is – we had the that day we were actually kind of hunt scouting that day mm -hmm. and we're out there and we're just doing our thing me and chad before the rest of the crew got in and this situation just blew up in front of us and you know we're, we're calling the guys <laughs> and we're like 
two down. <laughs> yeah, wow, man. That's great. I love I love when it's unexpected like that too. It's it's like and that's that's almost it's funny how that happens because when oh, you're out yeah. there and it's it's like maybe you've been going out hitting it hard for two days straight and haven't even heard a bugle, haven't seen an elk and and you start kind of losing that um What's the word? The focus, the, what did my, uh, I had a lieutenant in the Marines who used to always say this, stay vigilant. You you, you lose that vigilance, right? Mm -hmm. And, and all of a sudden, um, boom, boom, all of a sudden 30 yards in front of you, this elk's blowing up in front of you. You know, it's just, uh, I love it when that happens. It's when the the unexpected times, it makes it more fun. You hunt for hours and hours and days and days and everything changes in a minute. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. A second. A second. Yeah. I mean, it's just, everything changes, man. And you just have to stay vigilant using your word mm-hmm. and you just got to stay on the focus because that's why it's called a hunt, you know, and you, you got to put in the time sometimes to make it happen. Last year I killed my bull on a 10 day hunt last day, last morning, <laughs> uh, <laughs> end up killing that bull of a 10 day hunt. So yeah. you just yeah. never know when things are going to change. It's incredible, man. I, 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 I love hearing these stories. It always gives me hope too. And that's the kind of stuff I think about when I, when I have been out there grinding hard and, and things just seem to go quiet, you know, you feel like mm-hmm. you need something to change. You need, you need like a, a storm front to come in and just kind of rock and roll for, for a few hours. And it, that always seems to shuffle the deck a little bit, you know, and, uh, I, I well, don't know. And then all of a sudden the other- it happens. The other thing you need is you need a strategy for when things are quiet, because just because things go silent doesn't mean that they're not coming into you. So I think a lot of people really get downtrodden and get disheartened and really start to to lose their mental focus just when they're not hearing bugles. And that doesn't mean that you're still not able to kill an elk. Trust me on that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I think we we like the bugle so much okay it's awesome you just got to say it's awesome it's just the thing that everybody loves to hear and loves to experience um and but it gives us confidence that we found an elk we know there's an elk in the country but there's other ways to know that they're in the country and instead of you finding them in that way you can do things to make them find you and if you have that strategy uh it's it's going to help you in those difficult times like that. So, well, we're yeah. going to have to expand a little bit on that because I, I struggle with that, Joe, where uh-huh. when, when things go quiet, um, I I'll, I'll start doing different strategies where, mm-hmm. you know, I'll do maybe do a little cold calling with a cow call sure. and, and yeah. different things. And it seems to work because what happens is I don't know what to look for or listen for, and then next thing I know, I just bumped a bull that was coming in silent and, and he's, you know, yep. three zip codes away by the time I even catch my breath. And, and yep. so it's, it's that kind of stuff. Do you have, do you have something you could talk to us about in regards to like silent elk coming in or, and what to do strategy wise um, when, when things do seem to be really quiet out there? Yeah. So, I mean, you talked about it already is, you know, you either cold calling or, you know, or call scenarios. I have several different scenarios and my scenarios are basically based on what I have seen, smelled or heard. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And so just because you hear an elk 
does not mean that that elk is going to engage with you. And some people would just, you know, okay, I hear a bull and, and we all know, okay, or hopefully we know, you know, you hear an animal, you cut the distance, you try to get inside the bubble, you try to get another response. Well, what if you don't, you know, well, that animal's still probably in that area and there could be different reasons for that. And it's so funny, Jim, cause this is, this is exactly the issues that I work with um, every year with the guys that we coach because we um as you know elk grows we're elk hunting coaches we have an online elk hunting academy um we actually sell coached hunts and we when we have hunters that are doing one of our hunts they just don't come into our camp and hunt we do like about two months of training of uh, uh-huh. my whole crew, what, what I call my success squad. And I mean, you know, Guy de Planche, you know, Gilbert Ornelas, you know, the mafia, mm-hmm. um, myself, all of us, uh, Chad, we all have an area like Guy works with them on gear and shooting proficiency and, and Luis works with oh, them on their setup. Guy, man, he's a nut about gear. I love it. Ex- exactly, man. <laughs> that's, that's why he's there. And so we, and then we have Luis that works with them on their, on their archery setup to make sure that they're ready there. Chad works with them on fitness. I do calling and setup. We have, um, Travis O'Shea that comes in and helps with calling. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to wrap in some other guys that are coming in to help us out with that. Uh, then we have Gilbert and RC that works with them on failure points. So we're doing all this stuff and teaching them how to find out what to look for, you know, working on all of these aspects months before they actually get boots on the ground. Right. Mm-hmm. And then once they come into camp, they have us as a coach with them, not a guide. We are a coach. So we're there to be their partner, but helping them to make their decisions, just like any player on a court. Once you've gone through all the practice and you get out there and you're playing the game, you've got to make the decisions, man. You got to know, am I going to go baseline? Am I going to pull up? Do I pass? What do I do? And you got to do that from all the things that you practice. And there's going to be errors. The ball's going to get stolen. You're going to miss shots. There's going to be things that happen. But we're going to have a coach right there with you as your partner to help you get through some of that, um, to talk about some of those decisions, about some of the possibilities, but still encouraging them to be that DIY hunter. We want them to grow to a point that when they leave us, by the time they're done, that following year, they should be excited to go out and take those tools on their own, right? And make it happen. So in in doing well, can, this, go ahead. Good. Can we back up a little bit there? Sure. On, on that on that point. Are you talking about you work with them for months online kind of thing? And then when they get a, they come to you during hunting season and you guys are with them? Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, so they these guys have actually purchased a coached hunt. So I have in New Mexico, I have landowner tags, and they will purchase that. It you know a lot like guys are purchasing guided hunts. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, they are they are purchasing a coached hunt. The difference being is their success is dependent on them. It's not about me going out and using my skill set to give them an opportunity. It's about me using my skill set as a coach to empower them to create opportunities what? or to make decisions. Yes, yes. How come I? How come I have not heard about this? I I, I have do no that. idea, man. <laughs> I want to do that. I've been listening to your podcast too, I, I, and and so I I don't know how I haven't heard about this, but. 
Yeah. Uh, so it's it, it's 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 so much fun because I've been a professional guide for over 25 years. Yeah, yeah. But this this and I've always been a teaching guide, and so we took this to a whole different level. And actually, Jim, the price that we sell that hunt for, most people are paying tags. You know, they're purchasing tags for that amount. You know, so we try to keep it as blue collar as possible, but yet be able to pay the coaches. And we here's the other aspect of it. Like I said, we're training people to be DIY, right? So we require them to have all their gear, to have their sleeping gear, to have their spike out gear, to bring their own transportation. We do um, provide a meal at camp each night and I almost didn't do that, but then I, I got back to the whole camaraderie thing. And man, the, the best camaraderie happens when everybody's eating together there in camp. So yeah, we do we do one hot meal, and then the boys supply them with snacks and sandwiches to take with them when they're hunting to help. You know, just that little bit of phase of preparation for them. But everything else is them finding out how well their gear is going to work in an actual situation. And we try to ahead of time, keep them from having those failure points in gear by talking about what works and what doesn't where our failures have been and things that could help them avoid that. So again, it's all teaching mode the whole time. And here's the cool thing. Last year we had four hunters in camp. Um, all of them from all different places in the United States. We had uh, uh, California, Wisconsin, Ohio, Oklahoma. And our goal is to teach them to be successful DIY. If we end up getting an animal, that's just icing on the cake, mm -hmm. right? Because of the educational process. Well, last year we went 50% in camp on kills. We probably were 100% on you know, opportunities, but what's so cool about that is that same group of people are out hunting together this year on their own. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. And they're going to be a lot more effective, which is, which is good for hunting all around. It's good for absolutely. the entire hunting community. I, yeah, absolutely. man, I didn't know you did that, that kind of, I'm on the, I'm on your website right now, the uh -huh. landowner tag section. So go Looks up and like, you can you can see where the coach hunts are as well. So where where um, uh, wait a minute wait a minute coach hunts I don't see that is that like at the top of the tab or do I yeah, scroll let me down? See. Let me let me jump on uh, with you and you'll see that uh, it's called EB Adventures. That's Elk Bros Adventures. If you go to Elk Bros Adventures, yeah, that's where I'm at. Adve okay, Adventures Home, Elk Bros Hunts, Coaching Guiding Services, Tag Pool, Landowner Tags. Uh, yeah. So if you just go to Adventures Home, you'll see where it says Hunt Outfitting Revolutionized uh -huh. right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it says a whole different vision, coaching instead of guiding, teaching someone how to fish instead of giving them a fish. And they not only get a coach, they get an entire team. They get a success squad of coaching, you know. Um so it's on our core our course on steroids. On your team, you've got you've got Guy Duplanchier on there. Is what is he doing? Yep. Like showing people how to properly strap a, a Birkenstock sandal before hitting <laughs> up the mountain. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to give him a hard time for a while, so I don't want him to think I'm getting soft. Oh man, Guy, Guy, man, he's just he's just too much. Love that guy to death. Man. <laughs> Me too, man. And, and you 
you talk about somebody so passionate and and him and I are kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum. He he always reminds people that yeah, Joe was raised in the depression, so he's kind of cheap, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> but because guy man, guy uh, he will try buy um, anything and everything. He's a gear junkie, and uh, you know uh, I, I'm kind of more budget based, and I'm uh-huh. able you know I I, I tell people. You know, after guy gets done describing everything that he's going to have in his pack, and I go, nope, I don't carry none of that. I'll yeah. just go with guy. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that, I'm, I'm in between you guys. I, I kind of like some of the gear out there. I kind of geek out on uh, like a good pack or, you know, uh-huh. boots. Uh, things like that. I, I but uh, other stuff. I I'll I'll hear people like guy. I have I have friends that are like guy where they're they're way into the gear and they'll they'll talk about. You know all these different, all this different technical kind of stuff. I it's it's in one ear and out the other with me. I I don't even know what my arrow setup is. I have a guy that sets up my bow and all that kind of stuff, and and I go out and I just shoot it a bunch, so I know where it's going, right. and and it, yeah. it's always worked. But um, yeah, no, it's 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 just it's totally dependent on you know whatever whatever makes somebody passionate. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. okay. I, and, I found all this, so you're sold out for this year. Yes, sir. And uh, we're we're actually probably going to book early for next year. And actually, I'd like to increase this because I've got coaches that I'm developing, and um, uh, and that have developed. And I'd actually like to expand this into multiple camps for multiple experiences. So huh. uh, it's uh, it's an exciting thing. And you know, this is our second year. Last year was our you know, was our uh, initial event that we've done. And I, I couldn't have been happier with the men that we got, um, the hunters that we got, and they happened to be the ones that purchased were all four men. Um, and it, they were just super and they came away from it. When we left camp, there were tears. Everybody had tears in their eyes. We just had that great of an experience. So God, that'd be uh, fun. I'd love to do that. Yeah. That, that'd it's be a ball. It, it's, I tell you, um, for me as somebody that has hunted on my own and somebody that has been a professional guide, this is like, it's so rewarding, man, because Mm -hmm. watching, you know, those light bulbs coming on and seeing the looks in their faces and them talking about the heartbeat in a situation and getting in those and the, the whole learning process, because even though you do it for months and start to give them that knowledge prior to getting there, once they get in the woods and they're, you know, all of those, you know, sensory things happen, the smells and the sights and the sounds, it's just so much more. So hmm. it's a, uh, it, it, it's a big plus, but, um, you want anything else on that? I'll jump back to where I was. Jump back to where you were. Cause I, I do okay. have some questions brewing, but I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose focus as to where we were at. So the thing that I was telling you is, is in doing this and being able to be with these people and people I've guided over the years and then people I've hunted with over the years and especially now in training hunters, I really get to see the things that they struggle, the things that are glaring, glaring points that create the biggest holes in probably most elk hunters games. So, uh, and I think that is something that I can really kind of bring to the table from those experiences with other people, because, you know, when you talk to successful hunters and, 
And they've been doing it for years after year after year. There's so many things that we take for granted that when you get out in the woods with somebody and they do something, you're like, why in the heck are they doing that? You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right? And it's just because of the perspective, the background, the understanding, the knowledge set, and the experience. They don't have that. So that's our job as coaches. We do allow them. If when we're out and we're with a, as a partner with them, if they're going to move up forward and they're going to solo call and they tell us to hang back, hold a decoy, or if they tell us they want us to drop off 80 yards and do a little cow calls, if they're giving and, and, and telling us things that that's our goal for them to kind of take the lead. Because the problem is with most coaches, they're so experienced that they have a skill set and they're born leaders and they always want to jump into that lead role. So as a coach, you have to learn to empower more than enable. So uh, it's been really cool to see, you know, when these guys are put in that position, when they get there, how they respond to it. And, and I can tell you, if you want to know, uh, I, I've got several areas where I think are huge glaring holes in most hunters game. And, but I can tell you this, Jim, did, did you say, I think, did you say several what, or seven? Oh, several, several. Okay. So, yeah. But I think I could probably narrow it down. Um, I want to know, like, because when, when you're doing this, I, I want to know, mm-hmm. like, is there, is there a pattern of like three of those areas mm-hmm. that, that you know that there is this this huge uh, gap or not gap, but this uh, like a, a percentage weakness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. a percentage of yeah. people that yeah. have this weakness. And yeah, I can tell you. Look, okay, and uh, the reason, and everybody listening, man, the reason I have been consistently successful over this long span of elk hunting is. Number one, my calling ability. Number one. And and calling is probably the least worked on skill set of most of these guys that get out in the woods. Okay. I that that's gonna that that sorry, I'm I might drive you crazy here. Yeah, go ahead, man. So calling ability. I wanna when you when you say calling ability, are you talking mm-hmm. about uh, well, let me ask you this. How many elk calling world championship titles do you have? Zero. Never been on a stage. And that's what I love about this conversation because not, and I love, I love elk calling contests. Don't, don't anybody mm-hmm. take me wrong, but I, I have found that there is a, that obviously there's a difference between how you can call on stage to win a contest versus calling an elk after elk after elk. And, and so when you say calling ability, can you mm-hmm. can you expand on like what is it about the ability that people need to focus on? Is it, it, it tone quality? Is it, it uh, you know um, rhythm? Is it emotion? Is there what what's in it in your mind that that gives you the either ability or lack of ability that people struggle with? So yes, yes, and yes. So what what I see is just about everybody that I come across is limited repetitious and the same old rodeo Mm -hmm. in other words they can cow call and maybe not bugle that well or they can bugle and maybe not cow call that well or they can bugle and they can cow call but it's the same one every time they don't have any variance in what you call emotion 
you know, um, temperament or whatever you want to do, intensity. And you can take the basic cow call and the basic elk bugle. And just by adding more volume, uh, more or less air, uh, uh, length, you can do just about any elk sound out there. And the other thing that most people don't realize is they only concentrate on those types of things where you can be just successful with your own voice, just doing huffs, moans. Um, raking is incredibly, incredibly successful. Uh, even You can even use an, um, antlers to do some rattling, man, especially in early season like that. You can roll rocks. You can break sticks. You can do things that sound like elk that are going to be just as effective. And sometimes because it's not the same old rodeo and it actually sounds like actual real elk out there, that's going to bring elk into you. They might not come in screaming with eyes rolled back and it's not coming out their nose, but they're going to come in. And having those tool sets, I think, is the thing that will really help you. You can't, everybody makes, you, they use a diaphragm so they don't sound like a hoochie mama, but yet they go out in the woods. And sound Nye. like a hoochie mama. I know Nye. I've said sound that. Sound like a hoochie mama, right? <laughs> yep. You know, um, the same old bugle. Or they go out there and they make a cow call and, a bull, you know, response to the cow call. And this is another thing that I'm going to go into is their, their lack of knowledge on what to do with the response. Cause they'll hear that cow call. And the first thing they do is they bugle back at it because they want that. They want that fight thing happening on mm -hmm. there, but I, I limited in that they don't take and create nuances. They don't take that cow call and turn it into a calf call. They don't take that cow call and add some voice into it to get that, you know, that um, demanding type mew. They, they don't listen to the actual sounds of elk. And all people have to do is go to YouTube, um, pull anything on herd talk or Rocky Mountain elk or anything, pull up a herd and listen to them and start trying to mimic those sounds. Don't I, worry. Go ahead. No, I'm I'm really glad you said that because one of the questions that I was going to get to is for the folks that like I'm gonna I'm gonna paint two different pictures. I'm gonna paint the mm -hmm. picture of like where I live. Where I live, I have elk on my land, and mm -hmm. I have cell cams all over my land. I have I have some tact cams. I have some spy point uh, cell cams, and uh, they they tell me where the elk are, and I can I can kind of sneak in on them, and I can just watch. I'm not talking about during hunting season. I'm talking about like right now, and I can mm -hmm. like they're the the elk are all calving right now. They've got these um, God, they're cute little suckers, man. I just want to go pick one up. Anyway, <laughs> these these calves are all running around, and and it's a really good time to get out there in the woods and just sit there and listen to them communicate with each other because they do. And sometimes it's just like this breathing thing, and yeah. and or 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 a stomping of the foot or a huff yep. or or something mm -hmm. like that. And and so I have this huge advantage to learn how elk communicate with each other. I want I wanted to ask you, what about the person that lives in upstate New York that only has ten days every September to come out west and hunt, uh, or or they live they live you know they don't even have to live on the East Coast. They could live in elk country in in elk states, but they don't have the luxury of being around elk like that. 
you know. Uh, yeah, but so, they do. They have they have other people doing it for them. There are so many people. Well, that are yeah, filming and, and that's that's yeah. that's what the point of that question was. Is is uh-huh. let's direct them to somewhere. And you you you'd mentioned herd talk on YouTube. Uh, there there's lots of resources. Um, oh, just just put in elk bugling. You yeah. Know? And what's going to happen is is you're going it's going to be you know just bulls bugling and but a lot of them there's going to be bulls around. And you can be able to hear the herd talking, be able to hear their bulls. Hold hold on, Joe. Behavior. And and look, if anybody hasn't, you know, if you don't want to do that, Chris Rowe, you know, Chris Rowe has his, um, uh, you can purchase his course. Rowe hunting resources, yeah. Yeah, row hunting resources, and you can watch hours of elk activity that Chris has done there in all different situations. So, you know, uh, I've never, I've never been on uh, Chris's site there, but I have friends that have, and they, they love that opportunity just to see elk being and doing elk things, right? Yeah, it's and, perfect because Chris went out there with like the type of microphone that mm-hmm. really picks up those sounds, and you, you just kind of. It, it you might get a little bit bored after a while, but you just uh, I don't I because I love this stuff, but I I know my my wife got pretty bored, um, but <laughs> you, you just hit that video and you just sit there and you listen and you watch and you watch the the interactions the way that you you could pick up a, okay that's obviously the lead cow because of this sound she's making and everybody's listening to her you know and and uh, yeah. so that it's it's powerful and there's uh, there's an Instagram page called good bull outdoors they yes, have they yes. have tons of yeah, really Lauren, good yeah, yeah mm-hmm. uh good bull outdoors uh on instagram yeah. they have tons of good footage because they're right there by rocky mountain park and, yep, and Estes they, park and yeah. yeah or yeah yeah Estes park what did i say mm-hmm. anyway uh, you said right they're right there at rocky mountain park yeah they go up there and get all of that and it's just there are a ton of resources mm-hmm. and you don't get bored if you listen and then you try to repeat you go back and you just try to repeat what they do. Because, I mean, it's like when elk are really, when the cows are starting to pull things in and they start that type thing. It's so cool to hear that and to mimic that. And if you can mimic cow herd talk, you can pull just about anything in. Because if if you're able to do that, that gets them to react whether it's you know a lost calf type sound or you know that type of insistent mew or those pleading type sounds you can actually bring cows to you and everybody's always so bull oriented in their thought processes like thinking bulls control the situation and that you know things are determined by the bull and i want to bring the bull in well that bull is just following those cows and if you're not able to bring him (laughs) <laughs> it's such a good, you know, it's such a good analogy when, uh, and I, I'm super proud I came up to this or came up with this because I, I was talking the other day, I think it was Michael Batiste. We were uh-huh. talking about how much you could learn about elk by just kind of studying human behavior. And, sure, and one of the things, one of the things that I was, um, I, I was kind of, I don't remember who I was talking to about this, but anyway, if let's say you walk into the house and your wife's standing in the kitchen and uh, the the trash is full and you mm-hmm. both desire to have that trash t- get taken out, you're both mm-hmm. standing in there. Which one is more likely to end up having to take that trash out? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like the, so it's it's when you translate that to the mountain, 
uh, it is, it's the cows that are running the show. And another thing yep. I wanted to bring up, uh, in regards to what you just mentioned is, um, I, I, I was, there is this little restaurant, uh, in Montana, it's called the halfway house. It's a, it's a little like bar and grill kind of by this, uh, really cool lake. We go fish right. every once in a while. But anyway, I'm in there, I'm talking to this old timer who's a retired guide, uh, here in Mo- or th- over there in Montana. And he said, you know what people make the mistake of is they learn how to bugle, but they don't learn how to communicate. And mm-hmm. and that struck me. What is your reaction to that? So, uh, you know, I, I think that raises your level of ability. Um, however, I think being able to do things that you understand the emotion of it um, and what it's doing, it, it's not so much meaning as it is emotion or want or need. I think when you understand there's some things or you understand, okay, if I do this, I know how they're going to react to it. If I do this, I'm either going to get one or two reactions to it. One might be good. One might be bad, but it's a possibility. I think you can get away with, it's kind of like somebody coming to the United States for the first time, you know, mm-hmm. is that they might learn some of the the words. And when somebody says hello, well, they can say hello back and it seems normal, right? It, it's when things, when they start to dive in too much, too close about too many technical things that somebody's going to go, oh, this person doesn't speak English, right? But there's some things in limited uh, conversation that they can absolutely get away with that you wouldn't really know if they didn't have an accent, right? Yeah. So I I think just by working to make these different sounds, to be able to be versatile, I think by being, you know, so that you're not repetitious and so that you're able to give the illusion of other elk doing things that sound more realistic, I, st- I still think with that, just by either creating your own picture or whoever you're dealing with, you're dealing with another bull. I mean, people say that, you know, mimicking is not the best thing to do. Well, look, I've, when I started out, if I had a bull that gave me a certain bugle, I went right back at him with it, maybe a little smaller, but not really. I kind of went back out with him and he's chuckling at me. I chuckled back at him and it seems like that would tick him off or it would actually get his cows coming my way. And sometimes I think that instead of trying to sound smaller than that bull that is talking to you, depending on time of year, mode, and different things, you're actually better off trying to sound bigger if you you think you can. But it's hard to sound bigger than most elk, right? But that's why you just give it to them the way they're doing it like that. That's the best way to start out. And if you don't know, you know, exactly what you're doing or or what's happening. And then if you're going to really be a student of the game, then learn that. Learn how to communicate. What basically is the principle behind what they're communicating? And really, it if you break it down, it can be very basic. You know, they're they're either trying to protect, they're trying to um set a pecking order. They're, they want to breed or they're just trying to announce that, hey, I'm here in the world and I'd like to join. They, they got that herd mentality as well. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you if you can break it down that way, you can go towards those modes and not really have to, you know, have to know everything exact 
on what they're doing. And, and look, I've been hunting through my 41st season. I get schooled by something new every year, but I have that basis of knowledge when I get in a situation that's going to help me. What I see with most of these guys that are coming out now, even the guys that I work with, I will tell you, their gear is top notch. These guys shoot incredible, man. They've got great equipment to travel with. Their sleeping stuff is good. Their backpack stuff is good. They've checked off all the bases on logistics and their calling is extremely limited. That is the whole. They get out there and and you know as well as I do, Jim, that successful elk hunting is about opportunities. Mm-hmm. It's about encounters. If you, the more opportunities and encounters you have, the better your odds of getting that animal. So there's two ways to get opportunities. Either you hike and hope that you're going to come across an elk or trying to find them, right? Mm-hmm. Or you have them find you. And I'm the type that, man, if I'm going through the woods, I could be, there could be an elk 200 yards away from me. And if I'm just hunting and hiking, and hoping, then I'm going to walk by so many elk that I don't even know that we're there. So I would much rather bring them to me than, you know, having yeah. to go search and search For and sure. search and thinking there's nothing in the woods, right? Me too. But but there's two ways you can do that. You can do that by either getting them to respond and having that direct engagement, or you can do it by you creating the illusion of elk doing elk things that are going to bring them into you. Mm-hmm. So that, that you, I think is the toughest thing. Do you have, uh, when we st- first started on the calling ability topic of this, mm-hmm. um, you'd mentioned like some kind of vocalizations, um, without a reed in your mouth, like the huffs and the, oh, yeah. and the whines and the moans is, could I convince you to, I don't know if you have a bugle tube sitting there, but could I convince you to make some of those sounds and, and so yeah, people can hear that? Now this is going to be all voice. I like to do the whines with the diaphragm in my mouth, but I can kind of tell you, show you what I do. Let me know if you can hear this. Cause I'm not sure which mic we're getting this from. Okay. <laughs> you get that type of thing yep right there so did did you you did not have you did have a a diaphragm in your mouth no 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 diaphragm in my mouth at that time you know and then you can kind of you can get those glunks going like that Mm -hmm. you know you get the glunks the huffs the puffs and i mean when you get that when you get those moans like that Dude, when you hear that, that is frustration. It is. Generally, when you hear that frustration, that means he is wanting to breed. And that means that there's a cow in that area that's not letting him breed. Maybe, you know, that that lights up other bulls, man. And it's low audible type noises. And what I always look at it, you know, you, everybody's had that dog that's real vocal and they, they, you know, if it's, it's dinner time in their mind. And mm-hmm. and they'll make that that real whiny sound. I've heard mm-hmm. elk do that. They, they and that's they, it just sounded like and I'll kind of mimic it too. But uh, you you did it pretty well. But in in uh, uh-huh. I I always do it like this. Yeah. 
you know, just something like that. And, and the Absolutely. elk, man, they really uh-huh. respond to it, man. I was super surprised when I learned how to do that. Uh, and I, I, I didn't really do it right there, but, um, no, but, but you know, there is no right or wrong. That, that's the thing. Different voices, yeah. different emotions. And it's Whiny hard. and emotional so, and frustration, all absolutely. those things. Yeah. So here's the thing about low audible noises. So when you use huffs, puffs, grunts, glunks, raking, rattling, when you use any of those noises, another bull hearing that cannot in any way gauge how big that bull is Mm -hmm. there's there's no voice there's no maturity it's just those those low audible noises so he's more apt to come into that number one because it sounds like his breeding type noises right there's got to be other elk in the area it could be us because he is so frustrated it could be a a a young age bull young class bull and he might have the opportunity to pick something up and intimidate that guy right so they're going to come in to to see what that bull size is and here's the other thing too is Elk know other elk voices. They've been setting pecking orders up, and they hear each other's bugles. They know each other. Sure, other elk come into the picture because they roam so far, but when they hear those types of huffs and puffs and grunts and moans, they are not able to recognize who that is. Is that Jim? I don't know if that's Jim. That might peek over there. Who the heck is that? Never heard that guy before. Never (laughs) heard that one because they can't gauge it, man. They they And so— it's not going to spook them off. It's not going to make, if anything, it's going to not only raise their interest, but it's going to raise interest of other cows in the area as well. Um, yeah. This last year, doing one of those types of sequences on that last morning of that last day, I knew that I had elk bedded down in an area below me. So I did a setup, started raking, introduced a couple of cows, and then started introducing my moans and huffs and glunks. And I wasn't into it five minutes and I catch movement and a cow is running towards me down below. And then all of a sudden, not 60 yards behind her, here comes the bull chasing her. And she's coming in because she's with a lower age class bull and figures there might be a better suitor up there and is coming into that. And or lonely because she hears the other cows up there as well. There could be multiple things that are happening there. But she's running towards me. The bull's like, no, you don't. And she comes up, comes by, stops at that stop and scan spot. And if people don't understand what that is, that's what those areas that elk will stop when they feel they should see the other elk that they're hearing. That cow stops right there at that stop and scan spot looking to see where I'm at, doesn't see anything, proceeds to walk broadside past me, going in the other direction, and guess who's going to follow exactly in her footsteps? And he does. He comes right to the exact stop and scan spot at 30 yards and it's game over. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's those sounds, man, are and they're not even sounds that you got to be able to, you know, I can do, I like doing a read like this, you know, mm-hmm. we get those types of things. Mm-hmm. Yep, but, yep. You know, it, it it's not anything that you have to be any kind of world class caller, man. <laughs> no, absolutely you know? not, man. I heard. Yeah, there's been so many people talk about um, shot gobbling a turkey. 
you, you know, yeah. there's shock bugling out there. Like I've I've heard of uh, sure. bulls getting fired up over dusty brakes on on dirt roads. I've heard you know all uh, door sorts slamming of slamming to a truck. Yeah. Yes, sir. Oh, absolutely. Yep. So mm-hmm. so there's it doesn't you don't need to be a world class caller. Uh, and, no. and, and in fact, I I know. Um, well, we don't need to go there. I, what I want to do is kind of kind of wrap up the calling ability part because I think that you you between you know for everybody listening, if you don't know, Elk Bros has something called the Blue Collar Elk Academy, which is an online uh, course uh, for elk yes. hunters, and um, yep. I've gone through it. It's very good. It's very thorough. It's a cool. It's a, the the different twist. Uh, I was like, you know, there's a there's a lot of these courses out there, and I I know most of you that that do these, right, Joe. And so right. I, I like to kind of offer my own little personal elevator pitch on all of them because I've done all of them, and right. um, the I what I like about uh, what I like about the Blue Collar Elk Academy is you, you guys kind of start from the shot and work your way back, yeah. and then you know right. getting back to that shot, and, and and that really puts it into a different kind of perspective. And so with that, and the fact that you're a coach and a, a guide, um, all these things. Calling ability is one of the the shortcomings you're finding in as as a pattern that people are kind of huge. missing a huge huge uh, huge hole. Uh, is that what you called it? A hole in their game? Yeah, it's a hole in their game, man. Because and you know, like I said, most people are going to practice here and there or on the way to camp. I know people that are buying reads and learning as they're going out there. And, I do too. And they just they have just welcome themselves to the 95% unsuccessful the people out there, man, because they are taking the one thing that could create their encounters and they're giving everybody else a head start. That's like going to a hundred yard uh, dash and letting somebody else start 60 yards in front of you. You're just given that much of an advantage yeah. and, and you're not helping yourself. And, and I'll tell you the other thing too, is what happens when people do that is, they're practicing the wrong sounds, the sounds that they practice. There you go. Because, you nailed yeah. it. You nailed it. And that's what I wanted to – That's what, uh, did I cut you off there? Sorry, man. No, no. Well, you know, even if they're doing a uh, a mew, right, they heard somebody do a mew, so they're trying to reproduce that. And they're generally trying to reproduce what they heard another person do instead of what a natural elk did. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, they didn't do anything where they could compare it to what a good one sounds to and record themselves and play it back because – what, what we hear when we're on this end of the two is different what those critters hear on the other end sometimes. So mm-hmm. it's even good just to record yourself and listen back and compare that to the other sounds that you're hearing like that. Because it's like anything. If, if I'm if I'm a, a, a guitar player and my guitar is out of tune, well, I, I might think I'm playing great music, but everybody else in the audience is like, when is this going to be over? I'm out of here, right? So Yeah, and know, that that exact thing is is kind of what I wanted to bring that question to is, mm-hmm. you know, a recommendation as to how to learn. Because uh, w- the way I do it, Joe, and the way I did it is, I you know, I, I've learned – I've learned how to play the drums. I learned how to play the guitar. I could play the mandolin. Mm -hmm. I can kind of play the keyboard. Not very well. I could play the kazoo. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think in fourth grade or something, I learned the recorder, little flute deal. And now I can play an elk bugle. And and the reason I kind of group all that together is because the process is the same. You don't want to just practice for the sake of practicing. You got to know what you're practicing for. You got to know what... 
you need to sound like, and that's where those those uh, videos that you were talking about earlier uh, come into play. And once you know what you need to sound like, you need to learn how to sound like that. And the way to do that is to practice and record yourself, listen to it, practice again until you get to the point. And so yeah. my question to you is uh, my recommendation has always been if you start roughly around Memorial Weekend, which we've already passed, mm-hmm. if you spent 10 minutes a day, with the exception of Sunday maybe, and and go through 10 minutes a day, whether you're driving to work or hiding in a closet or out in the garage or in the backyard driving your cra- neighbors crazy, 10 minutes a day working through multiple different things from uh, you know, a a regular just a locator bugle to a to a uh, you know a cow mew, a frustrated cow. You know, it's the different mm-hmm. different emotions that cows do and different emotions that bulls do. And like you were just doing the huffs and the moans, uh, working on that, working on chuckles mm-hmm. and grunts, all the different sounds that could be out there to include working on raking because you'd be amazed if your blood's pumping, your adrenaline's up, and all of a sudden it's like you're kind of running out of options, and then it's like boom, that light bulb goes off in your head. Elk's coming in. Maybe if you raked a little bit, uh, it's going to help, you know, And that, but then you kind of go blank. How? What do I do? What do I do to rake, you know, and, and kind of thing. So it's it's just practicing all of this stuff. And, and what I ask of people is 10 minutes a day. By the time you get to September, man, you're going to be miles ahead of 99.9% of elk hunters out there because let's face it, that one of the units I hunt, Joe, is very crowded. Uh, and mm-hmm. it hasn't always been. It's been like the last two years. It's really obnoxious, but a very, very crowded unit the last couple of years. And there are, man, it's not like I expect elk hunters to be, uh, you know, world calling champion, you know, con- contestants or anything like that. But they don't know what the heck they're saying, and and mm-hmm. they don't know when to say it, and they're they're like. You'll hear it every year. I'll be down in this. This there's a particular wallow that I like to hunt around. That's way down in this drainage. But the problem is, is on on the top of one of the sides is this this old uh, logging road, and it's it's probably six hundred yards up the mountain. Uh and and it happens every year. I'll be down there, and I'll I'll start bugling with with an elk. And lo and behold, I hear a four-wheeler way up on that road. I hear the four-wheeler turn off, and I like 10 seconds later, the ugliest, most profane, (laughs) offensive bugle I've ever heard rips off of that, gets no response, and 30 seconds later, I hear the four-wheeler crank up, and yep, down the road. Like, what? I just want to go smack that guy. Like, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? I've, I've, I've actually, I've actually bedded down with the herd of elk, and they were probably 150 yards off of uh, a two track. I mean, they had trees between them and the two track, but mm-hmm. they're just bedded down. It was about 20 head of elk. I'm on the downwind side, just waiting for things to get in a better situation, and I hear same same thing, man. And the elk, all they did was they just followed that sound, just turned their heads with the ear. It turns off. Guy bugles, same thing, jumps back on, blah, 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 blah. And all those elk did was just turn their head and just listen as it went by. Yeah. Never stood up, never got boogered, nothing. And, uh, and <laughs> that, you know, here's 20 head of elk, 150 yards off the road, and this guy has zero clue. Mm-hmm. 
you know, zero clue. So no, no, that kind of tells you something. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's happened to me. Somebody, it's it's actually ruined a, a really good call in. Uh, it buggered a, yeah. a bull. I was I was calling in on this. Uh, me and my buddy call it the one hundred year old wallow. Uh, it's a great yeah. old wallow, man. And uh, anyway, I just uh, getting back. Okay, I'm trying to trying to keep okay. us on track here. Getting back. Do you have a recommendation? Is my ten minutes a day is that is that on on track? Is that off track? What what do you recommend for people so to just really I, I, get up I tell speed? people that you find you find that time or activity that you're doing that you can combine it with. Like I do like these these mile walks or hikes in the morning. Um because because I'm an elk hunter, I'm not a person swimming the English Channel, so I don't swim. I'm an elk hunter, so I get a lot of hiking in and uh, to get ready. And while I'm doing that, I'm working my calling as I'm going. In fact, it was so funny, man. Last year, Jim, I'm going down a dirt road here not far from my house, and I'm just doing different sounds. I'm working on my cow calls, on my buzz, and doing a little bit of pleading and trying to get that real, you know, deep buzz going on, being demanding. And I catch a, uh, I catch this light patch out of the corner of my, and I look up, and a bull elk has come to the top of the ridge to look over it at me. I had actually <laughs> brought a bull elk from the top of this area, and I was like, okay, oh, cool. that's cool. You Way know? cool, man. Yeah. Way cool. But if you have an activity that you do, if you do any hiking, if you do anything like that, if you're just going, you know, if you're lifting in your own little home gym out there, get a daggum diaphragm in your mouth, man, and work it while you're doing it. Listen to another sound. Reproduce that sound. Listen to the elk sounds. Try to sound just exactly like that herd did with the same, same rhythm. In other words, you know, you heard a calf here and then a, a mew there and then you heard a, you know, then you're going to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, try to work so that you sound like different elk in different directions so that you can kind of create depth to your calling, not just yeah. Man, yeah. that's great. Right? So try to repeat what you're hearing there and record yourself when you're doing it. Go back and listen to it. Compare that to that. What was your nuance like, man? Because, you know, your tone, did you understand it and produce it the way they did? Did you have that? You know, because really a, a, an elk bugle and, and a cow call are just the inverse of each other. They're just the opposite. You know, that that bull that bull bugle starts at that with that tongue away from the latex so that giving you that low tone. And as you're given more air and volume, that tongue's going up to a higher pitch. And that cow call is just the opposite, man. It's starting up there on the latex, giving you that high pitch and then dropping off of it. They're just inverse of each other, right? So, you know, how did your sound, where was it at? And all elk bugles are not alike. You got some of those smooth guys, man, that have nothing on the front of it, but might have a little bit of a uh at the end of it. You might have one that yells a couple of grunts and then goes into a bugle. You might have one that's a little raspy on the front and goes really hard and quick. Anytime you get shorter, you got those longer um, location bugles. And anytime you get that down to that one second bugle at 1.5, now you're going into more display type talk that's really more cow oriented from the bull than it is going out and searching or advertising or letting or letting other bulls know. It, it becomes, the shorter it becomes, it becomes more towards those cows that are there. So practice different lengths. 
you know, um, practice just single tone. That's good you know, advice. Because a lot of times when I get in areas and I, I do a location bugle, especially because I cast my calls near to far, I use different types of calls close and then I increase as I'm trying to get volume out. And then once I get there, man, I'm just giving that high pitch with that at the end because Mm -hmm. I think that's what they're going to hear myself. That's when I get the the most reaction. So you work those different lengths and enjoy the process and get yourself so that you're comfortable and do it with multiple reads. In fact, if you are using one single read and you're using that during the summer and then you bring it to elk camp, you've just again set yourself up for failure because you have just stretched that latex out and you're not going to get the kind of sounds that you want. Mm-hmm. So you need multiples. You need to get them to a point. Oh, I like the way this one's sounding. Go to another one, man. Save that because it's right there. Put that in that pack as a number one right there. Start working another one. It's where you like it and you're sweet. Save that one right there so that you can rotate yeah, through and- them on a hunt. To that to that point, I want to I want to throw one thing in that I found, it, it, and it, it I, I guess it just makes sense in my mind. But what, like I really like one particular read. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. my go to. It's my my main read that I use. And and so what, what is I do, it? Tell everybody what it, is it? Man? Well, it's the Maverick, the Phelps Maverick. Okay. And and it's it's the same. Uh, or, or anyway, the point is, is I'll, I don't just go into the field with one or two of those. I have like three or four of them. And the sure. reason for that is because if if I'm out all morning and I'm blowing on the same read, same read, same yep. read, what mm-hmm. happens? You know, you have like I I can really bore people to death, man. Uh, my my day job uh, job I'm in roofing, and everybody knows mm-hmm. like metal. When it gets hot, it expands. When it gets cold, it, it contracts. This is this is called thermal expansion, and and it'll pop fasteners out and all sorts of stuff. But anyway, th- this same thing happens to everything. Things expand and contract, and and they they shift and they they adjust as temperatures change or UV or whatever is 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 affecting them. So if if I'm blowing on the same read all morning, I'll put that read up back in my pocket or back in my my little pouch that I carry them in, and I'll grab another one. And it's like you've got this fresh start, but it's already kind of stretched out, ready to go. And mm-hmm. and that read will all of a sudden sound really good. And then I'll kind of wear that one out, and I'll get the old the 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 first read i had and it is kind of back in the same spot i started out in the morning with so it's it's sure. the, you know just that makes a big difference well it for does, me does. that makes a big mm-hmm. difference for me so i no, I'm, no. I'm just kind of transferring I, them i carry about the day. five reads with me and i have three of them of what i call my mainstay man the one that is pretty much my workhorse and i do the same thing i well, what is your what is your mainstay oh well you know it's the elk bros grinder mm-hmm. um but I also I really like the um, uh, the pitch black number two out of the Phelps series. Yeah. I, I really like that one. I, I, and, I love uh, the pitch black actually. Yeah, and and I like the you know the old rip it um, one and a half that uh, that uh, Carlton calls has. That's uh-huh. one of the ones yep, that yep. Is, is, especially if I'm going to be if if it's one of those days and it's uh, it's bull day. You know, I've got a lot of bulls that are doing things. I'm going to be doing a lot of bull talk. It has a little backing on it and just really lets me work it. So, you know, otherwise I'm usually single latex and, but I'll carry those three. And then what I do is I'll carry another one of a different tone. Like I told you, I might have that pitch black. I might have that native by Carlton. Um, and I keep a closer with me. So I'm going to use, uh, was, I'm that, have was that your Siri? 
Yeah, <laughs> it, it like just decides to talk on its own. <laughs> I thought it was like so you've got the good angel and the bad angel on your shoulder, and one of them was yeah. talking to you or something. Like, you know, I can. It, you know, that's what happens I don't go when down that rabbit hole. But I, I can go, uh, hey Siri, and it'll never come on. But I can have a conversation. All of a sudden, it decides to butt in. I know, you know? mine does that too, man. I don't get it. <laughs> so. Yeah, but. Uh, um, I keep that closer call. That's going to be my real light um, cow calf type latex that when I get something in tight and I just want to give those real soft calf and cow calls, I want something that, you know, uh, I can get them in that last 50 yards without blowing them out. And I'm throwing my calls behind me, but it just gives that real soft flavor to it. And it's just so sweet. So I kind of keep those five with me. Um, and that's kind of my all purpose path right there that I like to do, but mm-hmm. I definitely switch through them. And the re and when I switch is as soon as I start feeling my latex really getting warm and wet. So, you know, it's starting to stretch like that. I'm, I'm taking it out and I'm putting another one in the mouth so that, uh, I'm not blowing out that latex. Yeah. There. And it helps me get longer life on all my yep. calls. Yep. That's, I, I think that's the point I was going for. You'll, you'll get a lot mm-hmm. more life. Uh, yep. Like I'll I'll have I'll have like one of my Mavericks I'll start on August 30th with I'm still blowing that mm-hmm. thing on September 30th, but it's because I'm rotating them in and out. You know, it's not I'm not using the same one all day long or every single day. Mm-hmm. It's, it's I'm kind of rotating them out a little bit there, and and uh, you know, so I think that really helps. Okay, I think we've covered the calling ability hole. Yeah, let's. Yeah. Uh, what what is another, um, what is another pattern that you've noticed, um. Whoops. So I, I, I would say that are you there? there's yeah. Oh Can there you, you are. Sorry sorry, I lost yeah. you there for a minute. Um Yeah. Go go um, ahead. You were so, I think you were catching the gist of what I was asking. Yeah, yeah. So really and tell me which ones you want to go with because um I I think they struggle with the dynamics of a setup, really understanding that, when, how, why. Um I think the visual awareness or understanding where and how to find elk um, is a huge, huge issue. People aren't able to look. It's kind of like how you look at a lake. Uh, A fisherman can look at a lake and they can recognize those spots that look fishy. And I can do the same thing looking at mountains and hills and terrain. Ooh, I like that one, Joe. Let's let's talk about that one for a minute. I I do want to talk about a setup too. So let's... uh, you know, we spent a lot of time on the on the calling part, but let's talk about sure. the locating elk because I mean, it's it's uh, nothing happens until you find them, right? Absolutely, and 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 I for for purposes, I'm I'm going to throw something at you a little bit weird is that that I try to actually break down finding elk into two different things: locating and then the finding. And what I mean by that is, is I can locate the elk in an area. I can, I can have fresh sign. I can, I can smell them. I can maybe even, you know, if I hear them, well, now I've found them because I know where they're at. Right. But a lot of times I can locate where they are and not have found them. Now the finding begins. Now the either them coming to you or you going to them and actually creating that encounter, that's what has to happen. You if it, it's I like to equate it with um my remote to my TV is that I can I know the location of my remote is somewhere in the dang living room, right? Mm-hmm. It's got to be in here. 
but until I actually find it and get it in my hand, there ain't no TV being watched, man. So uh, <laughs> that's a great analogy, man. You should patent that. <laughs> so it's the same thing with elk. There's some people that are happy with the fact that, yeah, I, you know, I hear one or I'm finding fresh sign or, you know, even I've heard one out there. Well, okay. So you've heard it. That That's not the end game. You, you've got to now, you've got to get that animal in to an encounter so you have an opportunity to kill that animal right so now you go change from that to that hunt find mode or creating that encounter now most people struggle just locating where they're at right mm -hmm. and then once they locate them th then it's step b of being able to create that encounter and i think that whole Thing of creating the encounter will go back to the calling so now we're working backwards you've already been there to the calling right so yeah. now as we're coming back this way with it well it's kind of like hey joe I, you know what's that can, can we pause for just one sec yeah because i'd actually actually like to plug this thing i'm about ready to lose power here my thing actually turned off so, okay yeah, I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna pause the recording okay Okay, guys, we're back. Sorry about that. That's all right. We had to take a we had to take a, a, a bathroom break there. Now, <laughs> Joe, do you call it? Do you have to go pee or do you have to go potty? Uh, it depends on if my granddaughter's here or not. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's how you can always tell too. If if like a grown man has small children, he'll say, "I have to go potty." But if he doesn't, he says, "I got to go take a leak." Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we cut it off there. That's what happens, folks, when you get up to, especially Joe's age, um, take bathroom breaks every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I want everybody to know who said time out here, right? <laughs> uh, you're not supposed to rebut me. <laughs> uh, what, so we, I, I, we were talking about finding out, yep, right? Yep, yep. And, and really, I think most people, they can, they look at a mountain and they just, they just see the whole forest, you know, and there's going to be elk in there. And so they go in and they start hunting it like a whitetail hunter. And they, you know, I've even had guys that tell me, okay, so I read where, you know, water is the best thing. If you wait on water, then you can, you know, wait till the elk come into, mm, yeah, if you got 30 days, that can be effective, you know, definitely eventually you're probably going to have an animal come in, but uh, not my style, not the thing that I'm doing. I usually don't have 30 days to do that. Most people so, don't. Yeah. Yeah. So now you've got to understand how to be more efficient and locating where those animals are and, you know, have to see things differently. Even how you look at hills like my eyes automatically will go to the most open areas at the base of any kind of tree line to about, I don't know, 20 yards up and of scanning that. And then my eyes jump up the hillside to about uh, two thirds of the way up on the hill and looking and going across and any kind of change in color. Or an odd thing that just sticks out to me, just letting my eyes pick up those things that I know an elk can 
be looking like as I'm doing it. But it, my eyes have developed a scan mode that when I'm going through places, how I look, how I scan the bottom real quick and my eyes rotate up and they go through and any kind of small clearing or anything where I have uh, a discoloration is immediately going to grab my eye. Like you and, mean and disc- that's just discoloration in a sense like there there's a there's a patch of trees that are different or like there's mis it's an open area no, like a tan patch like you like cut a tan. tan patch a little bit of white you know you know, maybe just a little bit orange you know oranges type color maybe a brown that's offset um uh, maybe something that's a vertical line i mean horizontal line mm-hmm. anything anytime i see any type of horizontal line as I'm moving through or I'm scanning and looking at things, that immediately grabs my eye because most things in the woods are not horizontal. Now, we have a lot of trees that fall and stuff like that, but, you know, they are going to just get discounted real quick because of their color and what and their texture on there. But sometimes, and you know it as well as I do, there's some freaking rocks and trees that become elk, you know, oh, <laughs> while yeah. you're out in the woods. Yeah, man. man. That, but uh, that's that's okay. That's a that's a trained lesson in eye and being able to pick things out and decipher that. So, can I? Know, that's just go ahead. Can, I just want to add something because, I, so I've hunted in in enough different states to know that like the way you're describing how you're picking apart a mountain is going to be mm-hmm. slightly different than like in North Idaho or Western sure, because it's so thick. Because it's so thick, Western Montana or even like the Oregon coast. We we went to the Oregon coast. Uh, this last spring and holy smokes, Joe, it is, it is a jungle over there. And so it's, it's real similar to like this North Idaho jungle. And so when you're talking about like a horizontal line, what I'm, what I'm envisioning is like a bench you're seeing based on this line and it's just nothing but trees. You could Mm -hmm. tell that there is a contour change in the, in the mountain and, and you could well, tell the, the way now that... Now, I'm it, talking about looking for horizontal lines for shapes of animals, like when I'm going through. That's what I'm talking about there. Oh, when gotcha, I gotcha, see gotcha. Yeah, you're not going to see that in North Idaho. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, but you are. I mean, when you're walking through the woods in North Idaho and you can see, you know, uh, 50 yards up in the, in an area or through a window or something like that, and you catch, you know, that shape, mm-hmm. and sometimes oh, even 30 yards away, right? Yep, absolutely. And yeah. and there's you know I always I always kind of tell people when especially here don't don't focus on trying to find what you picture an elk in your mind as. Look for something Absolutely. out of place like you were talking about You're earlier. For an ear, and, yep, yep. Flicker mm-hmm. of a tail. Uh, uh, an antler tine. Yep. Yep, yep, because it exactly. it, it is slightly out of place and and uh yep. It's it's especially difficult hunting black bears, man, up here. It's crazy. All of a sudden, this thing you thought was a stump for an hour starts walking, and it's but like. See, when huh. I'm talking about that, we're, we're we're talking about a hunter's eye, like yep. you know, just how when you look at things on that. Now, when I'm talking about other type of features, um, when I am going by, like for example, last year. We had uh, one of our, I, I told you, one of our guys killed a bull. One of our hunters killed one. And we're actually helping him haul it out. We're driving down a highway. And as I'm going, I look off to my left at some of the, as it's going from a creek, going up into a real high alpine area there. And I looked at a spot, Jim, that it was a main drainage one single drainage that went up, you could see that it kind of benched out and it branched into three different, like a crow's foot going up oh, into wow. the mountains yeah. on different places. Is and this is a this is a west side feature that had 
northern slopes going on each one that goes up to a top right there and comes down to a river. Now, anytime I see a crow's foot like that with multiple ridges feeding into a single one and they have benches on it and you've got all those north facing slopes on each side of that, boom, that immediately draws my attention. Mm -hmm. And we were in that. When I saw that, I was like, man, there's going to be elk in there. I grabbed the guys the next morning. We get down in that area over there and first call, man, the place lights up with three different bugles. And this happened to be only a half mile away from houses down on the river. And Man, we get nobody had been up in this area. Nobody was in that area. These bulls are going off, but it was just the feature set that they had up there. They had the water. They had the benches up inside there. They had the different drainages that came into one where they could go from one to the other and find that bedding area and work themselves down. Yeah, it was it was perfect. Plus, they could go over on each of those and they could go from the north side to the south side north side to the south side and or why, they could come and why down is, the ridge why is that important joe so anytime i have like that you you've got different things that you know that north northeast side is going to attract them to bed now depending on how intense the that time of year is for you um how high that level is a lot of times right off the top of those northern parts of the ridges when you come over uh-huh. a lot of times you're going to have great grass up on the top of that ridge and it might even be on the side there before that sun has really really scorched it depending again on your level where you're at in your height and it was providing great opportunity for them to either graze there or to come down the ridge and work down where they could catch all the scents that are coming up out of that drainage to the area that they're trying to get to their destination, either for food or water for that, you know, for that evening, for their nighttime bed, wherever they're going to go. And anytime I have features that are coming in that crow's foot gym, the way these critters like to work you know, they're going to come down and they're going to go down to that water. And it it's creating a convergence of different elk, which intensifies the behaviors of the animals that are there. Oh, That's point. what I have found. Yeah. 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 Totally. So uh, I, I, I see things like that. Or I, let's say that I'm standing in a park, Jim, and it's a beautiful grassy park. And guys, Elk are grazers. They are grazers, number one, okay? So I'm in this gorgeous park. Now, I look around how to, you know, a hunter's eye from anybody else. A lot of people would go in there and they go, oh, this is a real pretty park. Oh, the grass is nice. Mm -hmm. I wonder how far it is from my tent, you know, like that. Or I'm looking inside that and I'm seeing things totally different in there. I'm asking myself questions, man. What do I smell? Are there any lingering you know, remnants of, of elk, you know, tracks, droppings, urine, is the grass chewed? If it's chewed, is that from, do I see, um, bovine cow tracks in here or am I seeing elk tracks in here? Are there beds in the grassy areas? Let me go 10 feet inside the tree line because most elk are going to create their, 
their trails just 10 feet inside the tree line. There's going to be some that are going to feed into there, but a lot of them like to circle around these parks before they make their way into them. So that's a good place to see. Is there a water source? Is the water source muddied up? Is it clear or undisturbed? Are there tracks in the dirt or mud at that water source? You know, what about antler scrapes, urine wallows? If it's early in the morning, is there dew on the tall grass? As I look up, is there any dark timber up in the distance? Or do I see a, a funnel with a saddle where they can come from that north side and drop over right into this park, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm now looking, and then I'm going to go to those places. And if I find the track now, and this is what I tell people because people are like, well, I want to wait at a water source or a food source. I'm like, no, don't just do that. Go to that water source, go to that feed source and reverse engineer. Find the track, find the trails going out from those areas, and they'll kind of be scattered. And then they'll start to, as they start to get funneled, they're going to get more into one type of trail. Look up at the terrain around there. Is there a thick forested area, or do you have a slope with a saddle where they could be going over and bedding on the other side? Is there a top ridge line that fingers down? Get on it. Is there a main trail on it? Check the track on that. Are they then dropping off any point in any of that slope to different places for a certain type of feature that they like there? You just have to see it with a different type of eye. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I love it, man. This is good information. I, I bet I, I guarantee the audience is eating this up because I, I am, and uh, it's it's funny too, Joe. When I when I record these, I feel like I don't really retain a lot of the information, so I go back and listen, and and that's uh-huh. actually where I learn. And, and so, um, I think I'm, I you know when you're doing this, you got to be focused on the, on the conversation itself, you know. Sure, but, sure. Um, no, I hear you. That's that's really good information, guys. I don't I don't know that. Uh, here's another great thing, Joe. How many times have you done the school of September? Like this has got to be your third or fourth time. I, yeah, I think it's yeah. I, I think I, so. School of September, I think it's the third. I think. Yeah. I, I think so too. And you've been on some regular episodes, um, but uh-huh. the the cool thing is is we've never covered this information on previous school of September episodes. And so no. uh, that's no. why I, I just, I love doing this every year. I'm able to grab an expert's uh, ear like yours and, and, and start pulling information out of you that I didn't get before. And it's, it's just like this, uh, it's so invaluable to, to guys like me, especially, you know? Um, and so, okay. So do you feel like we've, we've, located elk good enough to hit the uh the setup because i know we're going a little long here but uh i'm good if you're good and 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 really i think you know on each of these you know when it comes to locating and finding elk you could probably do a whole podcast right on that and then when you talk about and and the other one that i talk about is is how people struggle with the dynamics of a setup and Mm -hmm. There's two kinds of setups. There's a static setup and there's a dynamic setup. And the static setup is like when you are doing your cold calling or you're doing a sequence and or you're trying to paint a portrait and you're actually getting to pick that area. You're selecting the best location and for you to set up to have an animal, whether they're talking or whether they're coming in silent, to where they're going to have to show themselves within your effective killing range in order for them to be able to see you that's what's so critical about that static setup but understand that yeah can i ask something about that Mm -hmm. when when because i i think that's 
that can be a really effective thing. And but I always screwed up. They they always come some uh, come in uh, from a direction that I'm not expecting them to. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how many bulls I've lost because of this. Where mm-hmm. I I'm I'm looking around and I get into an area where you know my senses are telling me um, mm-hmm. whether it's sight, scent, sound, or all of the above. Mm-hmm. My senses are telling me that there are elk in the area, and specifically there are bulls in the area. And, right. you know, generally, if, if you're finding cows in September, there's going to be a bull around. And mm-hmm. so um, what are you looking for when, when, you've, when you've, you're in an area, you've, you've located mm-hmm. some fresh elk sign, there's, there's droppings, maybe there's a rub, uh, there's, you know, just it's, it smells real elky, that real musty, you know, you, mm-hmm. ju- you could just, uh, and a lot of times, guys that are listening, you could just feel it. You could just feel it. You know that there's elk there. Because it's not just the visual and 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 smells, uh, the sign that you're you're picking up on. There's I don't know I maybe I'm the only one, but uh, I don't think I am. I get a feeling I know that in my gut there there's going to be elk in this area, right? Well, your gut your gut's coming off experience, Jim. I mean, it's coming yeah, off of everything that you've had, and because you're relating other information that's giving you that gut feeling, because it's like. I'm not going to be waiting on the edge of a park because I see fresh sign and fresh droppings um, at, uh, at at 11 or 12 o'clock in the day. I'm not going to do that because those animals aren't going to be there. They're not going to be in that situation mm-hmm. down there in the flat that time of day. So if I'm getting that gut feeling then just because I see something fresh, then I'm wrong. They're going to be up near in their bedding areas. They're going to be up there in more shaded areas, especially if it's hot, right? Yep. Now, so that's that, you know, that, late morning that midday type thing so you have to relate that as well so that's a good point when i'm yeah yeah it you're taking that type of information you know i'll give you an example um my my uh buddy and i we were on a hunt and uh cole wilkes was was hunting with me the flatlander and and we we you know it was mid-morning things were starting to warm up and we came to an area that we were kind of on this upper bench, kind of a flat type level that created a pie shape um, kind of arena that dropped down the mountain. It, it kind of, you know, uh, it just kind of went out like a, a drainage and down below it was real thick in, in Aspen. It was nice and cool. It had all the cover and down below had all these feed areas down below. So it was the perfect bedding situation where we found it. Right. So it was that type of deal. We're catching sense. So what we do is we're like, man, this is perfect. And what, what else are we going to do right now? Let's pull a scenario right here. And so we started pulling on just this little scenario, just having a blast with it, having fun. You know, it just started out as being a couple of elk, introducing some cows and two different bulls, him being one, me being one. We start to escalate. We do all these different things. And next thing we know, we got a bull that comes in and walks. Now he happened to be a spike at the time. He couldn't shoot that booger, but he walks by us at about 10 feet man, and just comes into us. And it was for the guy that we had with us. We had a buddy with us. It was like the experience of a lifetime. And I think we'd only been doing that for about 10 minutes. And sure enough, he came up out of his bed, out of that area. It had all the signs. It had all the possibilities and it was something that we worked. Now, when, when I am doing that, if I am working in that morning time when everything's in its bed, I'm going to be in near those bedding areas and I'm going to be downwind from those bedding areas. And if I 
catch those scents. Like you said, that musty smell on there. Now I get to pick what I want to do and see if I can pull something out of that bedding area. Right. And I'm going to give it, it's midday, dude. So I'm going to give it half hour, 45 minutes to an hour working that. And I'm going to be very patient. I'm just a couple of sounds, let them hear it. Then I'm going to do a little bit more. Then I'm going, you know, I'm going to add to the picture as we're going. And I'm going to do it in the way that I have visually seen other elk act. I'm not going to try to speed it up. I'm not going to try to rush it. You know, I, I guess that's why they call it a slow play. You know, yeah. it's the same way when you play yeah, poker. A... Sometimes you can slow play somebody at the table, right? And on you don't the... just hit them right away. On the Blue Collar Elk Academy, um, mm-hmm. there, you, you kind of demonstrate that, don't you? The wh- yes. What you kind of refer to as a slow play, because everybody has a little bit different take on them. And there's, uh, there's, that's what I love about it. There's lots of different ways. But what I'm, what I was referring to in, in terms of my question is, uh-huh. when I've done that, I've, I've been really successful at calling an elk, and I'll get them uh-huh. coming in. But um, I have it in my head that they're going to come from down there because I see uh-huh. this really good elk trail, you know. And so I'm set up on so, the other side. So how, what are you focusing you on? Well, oh, after go ahead. You've, after, after you've done some of your calling. What are you focusing on sense-wise? What are you looking for? I, I'm not looking so much as I'm listening. No, and- well, okay, that's, that's, that's exactly, that's where I'm at. In other words, when I'm saying what are you looking for, I don't mean necessarily visually. I mean, what is it that you're wanting to pick up? And I, I want to pick up, be- for, for me, are you uh-huh. asking me or are you going to just answer? Yeah, okay. yeah, I'm asking well, for for me, I'm I'm listening for a a stick snapping or a a slight yep. moan or a huff. I'm at, uh, you know that stomping sound. But sometimes, yep. what really surprises me, where they catch me off guard, is how a seven or eight hundred pound freaking animal can be so silent, silent in such thick brush. Mm-hmm. And yep. so they always come in, either to my far right or behind me. And mm-hmm. and I, I'm not kidding you, Joe. I had one. I had one almost walk over the top of me, and I didn't notice it until uh, I I was kind of knelt knelt down, expecting him to come in front of me, because uh, I knew something was coming. He'd made some noise, but it it was like eight or nine minutes ago, right? And then eight or nine right. minutes go by. All of a sudden, he's right behind me by I don't know six feet, and yeah. my head turns, <laughs> so and, awesome. and he he uh, he obviously saw my head turn and didn't like it, and so he left. Uh, but so that's, I guess what I'm asking for is when, when you're, you're in an area, you know, there's elk, you want to do like a cold calling scenario mm-hmm. and you know what to do with that. But what are you looking for to set up to give you the most optimal chance to get that bull elk to come where you kind of want them to, that would be the most yeah. optimal shot placement for you. So, so what I'm looking for is I want the thickest amount of crap in front of me as possible, directly in front of me. Um, if I, if I've got the wind. You know, if I've got the wind that's coming in my face or 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 crosswind or anything like that, I, I want and I want the thickest area so that it, that's in front of me so that I have critters have to come on any side of that to be able to locate me. I'm, I'm looking for those shooting lanes through the thick stuff. And I want that thick stuff at least, you know, m- you know, minimum 30 yards out there and as thick a wall as I can find in vegetation, if possible, if possible, Jim, um, or I use terrain. What I do is 
I want to actually, if I have a hillside, I want to drop down on the side of that hill a little bit so that that stop and scan spot above that ridge is only 30 yards away from me. And uh, preferably, again, with some thick stuff directly in front so it forces an animal directly above me so it forces a critter to go to the right or the left, which is going to give me a better broadside opportunity. And I'm being able then to catch the side flank of movement rather than that bull just coming in first just horns and and his head being able to come over and having that direct head-on type shot. So I'm trying to control the environment as much as possible in a static situation, forcing that animal into an area that I'm going to best be able to see that critter. So if I have really, really thick stuff behind me that forces them to come around to poke through, and there's going to be an you know, you should not have to watch your six if the wind's in your face. But like you said, I've had for some reason, I've had elk come just off of that direct wind because the closer they get to you and the way that breeze goes back, they can actually miss your scent, you know, coming in on that circle like yeah, that. Yeah, I've had it happen several too. times. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Sure. You know, and, you know, that's it's part of it. But if you can try to create screens around you so that there's going to be certain places they have to come through in order to see you, that's what I'm looking for. How can I funnel a critter that's moving in on me? That's in my mind and my setup. As far as me and where I'm at, I just need something at my back breaking me up. So that gives me options. My shot um, lanes and where I think that animal is going to come through because it's forced to are way more important to me than having all this stuff trying to hide me. I don't want anything hiding me. I want just to have something behind me breaking me up because I don't want that critter to see me anyway until it's in position for me to kill it. And you're just kind of trusting your camo to work at that point. Is that, is that what I'm picking up Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and again, if I'm, if I'm using the vegetation or terrain, that booger's not going to see me until it's in my killing range. Right. So it has to it has to step through. It has to come over. It has to come up before it can actually be able to see what's calling it in. So I think that's where people mess up is they give a lot of real estate, you know, in hoping that, you know, they're going to be able to see an animal. And a lot of times they have used that real estate. They've come up. They're at a stop and scan position. You might not have seen them. But they're not seeing what they want, but they still, it's far enough that they're not sure, so they start circling, right? Whereas now if, or they're going to lock up and (laughs) they're going to eventually walk away. But if you create that setup in a way so that they have to come within your 30-yard range, your 40-yard range, whatever is your effective killing range, in order to be able to see you, you're going to have a lot better opportunity and try to force them to a side. Okay. Put the thickest, crummiest stuff you can. If you can put a, a wall behind you, if you have, like you're on the, 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 the side of a hill and you can put a rock wall behind you, or if you got thick, thick stuff that's, uh, that is downfall and you can get against that downfall so they can't use those sides against you, be strategic. Just like you did in the military, bro, you're going to try to find that upper hand and guide those that critter into the direction that you want it to. And good stuff, that, that's, man. That's the best thing I could tell you. Yeah, no that that actually really helps me. I I uh, I think I was kind of doing it 
where I was I was trying to maintain the uh, I guess key takeaway for me I was trying to maintain like the same elevation as where I thought the mm-hmm. bowl was going to come in versus mm-hmm. where there's two circumstances I could think of where if I would have been a little bit down lower mm-hmm. um and and I could have got a shot off before that sent you know because this a lot of times when I'm doing this uh, cold calling stuff is actually you know, that midday time. And it's a really good time. If you know where they're bedded down and you start doing a cold call setup, yep. the, the the bulls get antsy. They want to see what's going on, you know? And so it, it works right. really well. But if I would have been a lower where he kind of popped out of the brush up on the ridge a little bit, um, it would have been a lot more optimal. There was one just beautiful bull that was coming in and he stopped behind this tree and I had the bright idea to take a step to the right so that I can get a shot because all I could see is his head. And I don't know what I was thinking, Joe. Like, obviously, he <laughs> could see me. And, man, he took one look at me and, and was gone. And so, um, okay, so so that's a cold well, call. Well, and now. let me tell you, now, oh, go that, ahead. Changes, that changes, dude, because if, if you know where the critter is, like you've put elk to bed, you know, you followed a herd and they went to bed and now you're choosing your setup off of them from, you know, 100, 150 yards away. You have an idea where they're coming from. Now, you know, you don't have to worry as much as about them circling. It's generally going to be that same level then. You want to make it easy for them. But if you're not sure where it is or you Whoop. hide your stuff for effectiveness, I, I you, you use for the terrain. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I don't know if that's my phone or your phone. Anyway. I'm not sure. Cut out there just so, a bit. What I'm saying is, is you know, if if you put them to bed and you know where that bull, that bull's bed bugled and you heard those cows and they mm-hmm. and you know they're in a location, well, then your setup oftentimes is going to be that same level to make it as easy for him to get there unless – you can't use the terrain for your, I mean, the vegetation for your setup. If it's one of those open areas, then your only choice is to use terrain because you want to make sure that that elk is not able to see you until they're in that effective killing range. Gotcha. Okay. So let's let's shift now to dynamics uh, or a dynamic setup. Uh, and so, and I'm, I'm assuming this is, you're defining this as you've got a bull answering every bugle you're calling them in and whether yep. you know what whatever the case is whether you just got him fired up and pissed off to, to fight or he's coming in as a lover uh you know we've we've covered all that kind of stuff yep what what yep. do you define it as so it's exactly a dynamic setup is, is and there's a lot of people that once they hear an animal because they don't know how to deal with the response a lot of people they hear a bull respond to them and they start setting up right and you know, instead of, and, and they'll hear it from 400 yards off, 500 yards off, and they're yeah. setting up instead of closing <laughs> I, I used to distance. do that all the time, man. All the time I used to it's, do that. Exactly. I, I will tell everybody listening right now, I want you to take how aggressive you think you are, and I want you to triple that, man. I want you to take some risks. I want you to move in places that um, could possibly blow an animal up. But what's going to happen is, you're going to end up putting yourself in better situations where you have opportunities before you lose that opportunity. I, I am extremely aggressive on moving in on, on critters. Now okay. I'm well, not, one, there's a time to speed up and slow down. I'm not stupid about it, but I am compared to what most people do. I'm very aggressive. Right. I want to, I and just want to reiterate what you just said there, because I think that's, that's a super huge key takeaway Take how aggressive you think you are and triple it. Yep. 
Okay. I, 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 I I would totally agree with that. So I'll tell you a situation. I had a hunter with me that I was guiding and we got in the middle of a convergence of a group of elk, literally seeing elk around us on each side and to the front. We are in amongst them. I'm seeing jack, I'm seeing legs moving underneath the jack pines and I have a bull that's bugling up ahead of us. And I tell him, I pat my rear end telling him, I want you staying on my rear end. And we're starting to move forward. He goes, aren't they going to see us moving? I'm like, how do they know our legs are (laughs) are not another elk? Right. So, Mm I mean, here I was in the middle of this group moving forward, walking slowly to get in a better position where we needed to be and utilizing the herd around me to comfort that bull and to create a situation that was going to make it optimum for me. Sure enough, he ends up missing a bull at about 30 yards the first time. And it wasn't uh, 30 minutes later, we brought a 346 bull in to about 38 yards and he smoked that one. So we were just in amongst the elk, right? So, you know, sometimes you have to move to ensure that you're going to have a shot opportunity. If you're going to sit your butt down because you're worried about spooking the elk, you're going to have the same result. If you don't have clear shooting lanes or an opportunity and you don't move to create it or use a call to create it or have that animal end up creating it, you're going to lose that opportunity. And that that means You've got to look at that animal behavior. Where are those cows moving? What is that bull focusing on? Where could he most likely step? And now I've got to get myself in the best position to do that. Does that mean I sometimes have to risk something? Well, yeah, I'm going to risk it or I'm going to risk, you know, it's it's kind of like going all in at the poker table sometimes. Sometimes you just got to go all in or you're not going to get the pot, mm-hmm. y'all. So mm-hmm. yep. that's, I that's love it, man. one thing. Yeah. I'm fired that's up. That's one thing I would tell people. So, okay, is there so is there the, something the dynamic? But Jim, the yeah. dynamic part of that comes in is that okay, so I move and I'm starting to do something, and I find this perfect spot that's a setup, right? And I think it's coming from this lane, and so now I jump into that setup, and now all of a sudden that bull, instead of moving that way, is coming another one. Now I can try to use my call to turn that bull, but if I can see that he's definitely coming to a certain way, and I'm going to have to adjust. Now my setup is in dynamic mode again. I've got to move and adjust. Now, let's say that I sat there and I called, and all of a sudden that bull did something different where I didn't get to see him, and he sounds like he's going over the ridge. Boom, I got to move now out of there. I got to get off my butt. I got to get rocking with it and get myself into another situation to be able to read what that bull's doing, what he's interested in, and be be ready to set up another time. And any setup, even that you start out static, can become dynamic. When you start having to run and gun and move and to throw out different strategies as you're trying to get that animal to you, or you're trying to pressure that booger, let's say it's a bull that he's got uh, some cows with him, and he's not wanting to turn and fight, and you just keep pressuring them and pressuring them and pressuring them until you get to that bedding area where those cows want to bed, and he's actually got to either put up or shut up, you know, 
each one of those times that you set up doing that is going to be dynamic. You're looking, you're, you're checking what's going to be behind me. Where's my shooting lane going to be? Where could that animal come in? Do I have a stop and scan spot? All this stuff should be going through your head. And then if something happens that doesn't work and he's not biting, you know, he's not coming in on it. And all of a sudden he shifts. Now you've got to shift and you're going to another location. You're looking at another setup. You're looking at shooting lanes. I am always, always looking for shooting lanes and where those stop and scan locations are going to be. In other words, where can that bull come to that he's going to stop to look for me? Is it in my shooting effective range? If it's not, I need to change what I'm doing. It's dynamic. Joe, when you're doing that and you're shifting, the elk's shifting, the, the bull's going to the right, now he's going to the left a little bit, but you know he's kind of uh, coming in. You got my, my blood pressure's a little high. I get really excited about uh, when we're talking about this situation, man. I'm, I'm, I'm like super pumped. But um, So I'll try to slow down. Let me slow down. As, as that's going and, and you're looking for all these different shooting lanes and dynamics, are you worried at all about, uh, like, what are you paying attention to? Are you worried about sound? Like the you walking, breaking sticks, are you worried about, uh, obviously you're always kind of, you know, aware of, of thermals and scent and all that kind of stuff, but is there anything else we should be aware of? Yeah, so, you know, I always, the, the thermal part of it and the scent part of it for me, and that's where I always take things for granted when I'm talking to people is just ingrained in me. Mm-hmm. It's something me that... Too. that I'm reading all the dang time, man. I know what the sun's doing. I know what the temp's doing. I can feel it. I can tell, okay, is does my thermals have a chance to get to this critter? What time of day is it? Do I need to be on the parallel on the same level? Because sometimes that will dominate where your setup is as well. And, you know, sometimes too, Jim, you have the oh crap setups. I mean, it's where you are moving and all of a sudden you catch an antler tying and, you know, you just got to get to a spot where you're down and you have an open lane, man. It's just that oh crap moment. So, uh, you know, you hope that everything's working out, you know, and you're paying attention to thermals. But as I'm moving, I am really, really looking for always, I'm looking for lanes. I'm looking for possibilities where they can move. I'm looking for my best shot opportunity. And I I am never going to stop where I'm not shadowed and where I don't have a lane to be able to shoot. I never want to stop behind stuff. I never want to stop when I'm in the sun. I always want to utilize those shadows and have as much break on me as possible. Because even if I don't have anything directly behind me, if I get in those shadows where you have those different lights hitting you, man, that's just, that's optimum right there because they're going to catch those other bright lit places with their attention sooner. And I've even knelt down in wide open in a shadow at the front of some stuff. And I've had a herd of 20 elk come to me so close. This has been, I, <laughs> Jim, I've had them almost knock the arrow off my rest going wow. around <laughs> me. That's great. Man. Because they were looking <laughs> by me. They weren't looking you know, they weren't looking behind a tree for a predator. They were looking behind me for a predator. Yeah. It was the it was awesome. Okay. One one more question on this topic mm-hmm. and then and then uh again, I don't want you to think I'm gonna ask you to move into your basement. I've kept you so long here, but um <laughs> 
you you've gone through all this work you've gone through all these motions to get the bull to the scenario where you're looking for dynamic setups and and he's right. bugling and and all this kind of stuff and then maybe th- and, and a lot of times it might not be bugles it might be cow calls it might it, be puffs yep all wh- of that, right? whatever it is okay. regardless you know that there is a bull that is that is very close and very killable mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and and you get into a situation where the because this has happened to me multiple times and and i don't really know what to do other than i go charging at him the bull hangs up in some brush and and you know you just have that gut feeling that at any minute he's he's just for some reason not going to come any closer and so that mm-hmm. means he's going to go further and you have to mm-hmm. change that in order to kill that bull uh, mm-hmm. what, what do you do in that scenario? So it, it kind of depends. There's a lot of variables on how far away that bull might be, but let's say he came in and he's at 20 yards and he's standing on the other side of the brush. Yeah. He's just standing there listening. He's hung up. Okay. So one or two things are going to happen. Either he's going to keep coming forward and find that, that open area that I'm hoping that he finds and steps through. And then we've got a dead bull. Or he's going to turn and maybe try to circle to the downwind side, or he's going to turn away and he's going to start walking away. If he starts to go to that downwind side, I'm immediately, I'm immediately, now if he's that close, if he's at 30, 40 yards, if he's out to that 60, 80 yards, that changes what I'm doing just a little bit. Because now if I see that he's hung up and looking in a certain direction, my go-to with that is, especially if he's looking off and I need him to come to a certain way, I wear a flexible grunt tube um, that I have behind me. And I will actually steer that bull by throwing a real light cow or calf call back behind me in the direction that I want that bull to come. If that bull is still 60, 80 yards out. If that bull is at 30 to 40 yards right there and he starts to do something, I am immediately looking at, okay, where are they going to circle? And I'm looking for that shooting lane because a lot of times they'll give it to you not in the planned location so i'm actually shifting my body getting ready to do that if i see that the that that bull is i let him walk i let him go because now he's not sure he hasn't seen at the point but he came to a certain point so what i'm going to do is i'm going to let him go And then I am going to move up past that last screen that he was, use that now as my back screen, and I'm going to throw my call again back behind me that he was looking for in the first place. Because generally elk that have gone to a certain point that hang, once they go and you do that, they will come back generally the same amount of distance they went before. So if I just go and let him know that, hey, it's still up there, but it's further in the screen where you didn't see it. I might get that bull now to come back over. Hopefully there's a rise or there's thickness. Again, I'm looking at their new spots. I'm again looking at those shooting lanes, but I have now moved forward. And when I move forward this time, I did it silently. I didn't want him to think that there's an elk closer than you know, what I'm trying to portray back behind me. So what I want to do is, again, I'm just going to let him walk, and then I'm going to re-pull that animal back in to an area he's already felt safe. Awesome. Man, I'm pumped. Let's do this. I, I'm going to come. <laughs> I, I, I want to come hunting with you, man. Let's hook this oh, up. I, yeah, well, now, wait a second, Jim. Now, I, this is where I'm going to call you out again. Because 
I heard you on I'm trying to who who you just had on the podcast. You were just talking to somebody. Oh, that needed a mentor. It was a guy that um what was his name? It was a fantastic I I loved the show. And I'm actually going to try to pull it up right now and to see I'm gonna go ahead and plug this because it was it was really a fantastic show. And it's not something that uh the Code of the West with Chris Hunt. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that that was a. Isn't he a cool dude? Oh man, what an incredible piece! I just just sat, enjoyed listening to that. But Jim, during that show, I heard you tell Chris, "Yeah, yeah, I have so many people. I tell them I'd love to hunt with you. I have no intention to hunt with them, but I tell them that I'd love to hunt with them." <laughs> oh man, I did say that. No, I'm talking that. That's 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 a little different though. That's a little different. You know, you know how it is. You've got I've got all these guys at work that are like, Oh, I'd love to come hunting with you. And, oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You know, hit me up kind of thing. And yeah. You know, I'm kind of a loner. I'm kind of a loner when I go hunting. I, I like to uh-huh. be I like hunting alone. I like it just being all on my shoulders to be successful or not successful and right. and, right. and no, I, I you. you know, everybody's got a little different thing. You were talking earlier about the the camaraderie aspect of uh-huh. hunting and, and I think that's a beautiful thing too. Uh, but, but it's just like, you have to prioritize what you're passionate about. And for me, yeah, but, but the thing is you can have the camaraderie, you can have a group and you can still hunt on your own. Yeah, exactly. Kind of and I, I yeah. love doing that. I, I absolutely mm-hmm. love doing that. And so I just, I really like both aspects, but no, I, I mean it when I say I'd love, I'd love to hunt with you sometime. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to have awesome. to hook up, uh, hook up that, uh, hunt, come down to New Mexico and, and, uh, do that thing that you're doing with, uh, you could be my coach. Now, Dude, you 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 would you would freaking love it because man, we just keep getting more and more dialed in with this. It just it uh, just be a game changer. It, it like yeah, I you're an expert elk hunter. I'm I'm a mediocre elk hunter, and and it, it, what's funny about that is I think that I have a lot of theoretical knowledge when it comes to elk hunting, and I'm really good at calling them in. But there's holes in my game that that affect mm-hmm. me, and those holes cost me every season, you know, and so. Um, I, I, that's what I, I want to fill those holes. And so I'm, I'm deadly serious, man. I'd, I'd love to, uh, pencil if, if, if you penciled me in for next year or whatever, cause obviously this year it's too late, but, uh, we'll work that out later. But, um, yeah, this yeah. is, this has been Jim, great information. Be an honor to have you in camp, dude. Man, I need to tell you, uh, you so did, freaking awesome. that's easy to say when I'm a thousand miles away, brother, when I get uh, there. No, no, absolutely. Could you imagine, <laughs> you know, because uh, Guy will be in camp. He's one of our coaches. You know, mm-hmm. we got Big O in the camp. You know, it, it uh, Chav and RC and how much set, fun what would that a camp be? That would be, and oh, it would man. be so. It would be such a nice, like, dynamic change for me hunting country that's so different than what I'm used to. And I feel yeah. like that's yeah. what makes really good elk hunters. That these oh, yeah. these people that could take these skills into different areas that that where the terrain is different. Uh, you know, elk or elk everywhere, but there are nuances to to every sure. location that that make a big difference. And so, I just I think sure. that's what uh, we we've said the word dynamics a lot. That makes a dynamic yeah. elk hunter, and I'd love yeah. to do it. So, yeah. Well, hey, Joe, you know what's interesting, uh, I, and I know you're getting ready to cut off here. But, no, 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 uh, you're good. Um, you know, now that we're heading to Alberta, we've been like I said, we had the WhatsApp group, and we have been going back and forth with all the guys up in Canada, and they're in Alberta. And it is amazing how many of the similarities, you know, so when you're hearing certain things that 
just apply there that apply here. You know, it's it's really cool to hear a lot of that. But yet at the same time, there was one thing that we never thought about is that, you know, over in that country, you got to be careful of cow calling because they have grizz in that country. So yeah. a lot of times. So that changes some of the strategies just a little bit. But you're right. Elk or elk, you just got to figure out the nuances. You got to figure out how they work within that terrain. Um, yeah. The other types of things that could affect them, whether it be wolves or bears or hunting pressure. And then you just put the pieces together and you make it happen. Exactly. What I mean is like, you know, I grew up in Utah. And when we hunted mm-hmm. elk, Utah, similar to New Mexico, it's very dry. It's, mm-hmm. it's very much a desert. And, and there's a lot of high country desert up there. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so your real focus is, you know, you find the water, you're going to find the elk where like up here in North Idaho, uh, and, and even in like Western Montana and, e- uh, Eastern Washington, um, right. water is everywhere. You don't need to go locate water. Water, water is mm-hmm. everywhere, which means the elk can be anywhere. But once, once you find them, there's no, there's no real difference in, in, in the way that they, in which they behave, uh, and mm-hmm. respond to ca- uh, calls and and anything like that versus like in Utah, the the difference is is you you just you know if you're hunting in Utah and you know there's no water around you're not going to find any elk you, you have to you have right. to go elsewhere and so that that's what yep. I'm talking about in terms of the difference yeah. and yeah. you know like their morning pattern might be a little different because it's so water focused yep. somewhere like that where it's not here well, and I think you're going to find that in uh, Alberta. Yeah, we have a lot of people that struggle when they come down to southern New Mexico and the Gila because it's all of these type of just rolling hills, uh-huh. you know, down yeah, there. Yeah. And so, you know, it's not like the elk are going up high. You know, there's some areas in, in the Gila that are like that, but there's a lot of them where they're just kind of in all these rolling hills. And, you know, they're 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 going to bed in all these different places, man. And, you know, it's just a, and they're not going to be responding the same way at the same time and people struggle a lot of time when they go down there because it's just a different type of hunt yeah. right so yeah. that's what you're talking about for sure for sure i yeah. love it well joe tell everybody um everything they need to know about finding the elk academy um mm-hmm. the you know your your coaching service uh you know all all your social channels anything you want the audience to know before we uh we call it a day yeah so you know, we, we also do the Blue Collar Elk Hunting podcast. Um, people can find us on uh, any of their podcast app. We like it when people use Apple Podcasts and give us reviews and, and rate us on there. We want to find out how we're doing. Um, and, and that show has a lot of different facets to it. And uh, it's a little bit different. It's a, it's a crew most of the time, or we do a couple of um, insights type things. But uh, I like really your shout outs. To, yeah, <laughs> so I appreciate out. that, man. <laughs> so, so you can you can go to elkbros.com, and if you go to elkbros.com, there's a menu up on top that you can you can see our um, blue collar elk hunting academy and get our base camp uh, course. You can go to our EA adventures up there. You can click on our podcast. Um, you can go to our gear store. We have our own signature calls right now, um, and. You're the first one to hear this, Jim, man. Um, our soloist um, grunt tube, something that I've had in the works for a couple of years now, is on the ship coming in. I have some being flown in, so they're getting ready to hit our market as well. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And that's going to be and, uh, that's going to be on your in your gear shop on the website here. 
Yes, sir. It'll be in our gear shop here very shortly. And uh, we're going to put together some really cool packages with that. I'm so excited about that. People know because as a kid, having grown up and using Wayne stuff and using Larry D. Jones stuff and seeing these guys that create all of these things that we were using to be successful out in the woods, even just the idea that some person can take something that I created and go have this experience that I've had with using other people's equipment. It just makes me so proud. And so it's just so cool to me. So yeah. it's a, it's a big, it's a big deal to me. It's um, it's, it's a, it's a life thing for me. So I'm excited mm-hmm. about that. And well, I know you've so been you can find all really that really hard on, on that. And, and it's been yeah. a long time coming. And so it, yeah. yeah, super cool. And, I, yeah. COVID really set us back. Yes. That, but, uh, yes. I know, love, that's, I that's love how the, it goes. I love the mean ninja face you have on your website when you go into the gear and there you've got the um, Elk Bros. I don't even know how to pronounce that. Vacruo Camo Neck Gator. Yeah, Vacru, Vacru Camo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and, and you've got just the, just so that you know, people look and see that Vacru, and it you know it's this really cool scientific name, but it was actually dedicated to my hunting partner for over forty years. Chav it was Leroy Chavis. Were brother-in-laws and we've been hunting partners for 40 years and when he got uh he was actually in the hospital um and going through cancer treatments and things weren't looking good when i came out with that and i named it to honor chav and his fight that he was going through and it really reads backwards our chav and that's where the baku comes really so yeah man you're you're full of all sorts of surprises i love that (laughs) and uh yeah and and when you see the logo the pros logo that's um that's me and chav actually and that's from an actual photo um i'm the big ugly guy he's the small guy there Mm -hmm. (laughs) in in that uh, in that logo but so you can find us there at pro.com they can go to um instagram and just elk bros is us at at uh on instagram as well and uh, uh we'd love to hear from you Oh, you even have you even have guys uh, Western fly covers on there. That's pretty cool. Yes, absolutely, we yeah. do. I love yep. mine. Well, got, cool, got man. Sneak tech boots on there. Um, we've got the bow hitch on there, and I tell you what, Jim, if you don't have a bow hitch, man, you are so. I have never wanted a bow carrying device in my life. In fact, as a guide, I've told all my hunters to leave it at camp because they've. I've seen people lose too many opportunities with a bow carrying device, and I used this last year. In fact, our whole crew gave it, uh, took it out and tested it. And with the blow down to stuff we were going through, it was a lifesaver and never impeded the ability to be ready and take a shot. It's, it is the simplest and best thing I've ever had added to my bow. Oh, it I just, think it's going to be just, attaches, just like a stabilizer for everybody. I, I look, I'm looking at it. It just attaches to your like shoulder pack or, or no, your, your yeah strap? so yeah there's different ways that you can attach a loop i like mine to actually come off lower on my hip belt some people hook it up higher on their you know on their pack right there but uh you can see it has a little hook um inside there and man it just carries your bow so sweet huh. and you just grab it, it's right there at that handle you bring it up that comes off and you're putting an arrow on man i mean Okay, I'll I'll look into that. I I'm like you, man. I have never liked to have my bow attached to my pack or or anything. I I yeah. just you know I know it's a pain, but I'd rather carry it because you never know. Yeah, uh, but yep. but yeah, that that looks pretty handy. I'll check that out too. 
You're going to have to, man. All right, brother. Well, uh, again, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, This has been a really awesome conversation. I feel like we covered a lot of ground that people are just, you you know, I I love it when I feel like we're we're ending a school of September or any episode for that matter, where I feel like there's tangible information that people are going to really be able to take into the field. And who knows, they might be notching a tag thinking to themselves, man, I'm glad I listened to that Elk Bros uh, episode on the on the school of September. Uh, because that's that's what you know made sealed this deal for me. So I, I just uh, really appreciate I, your time. I, I just want you to know, Jim, when you first invited me to do this the first time, and you had Paul and yeah, Mike, and you had Dirk, and you know you had all these people that uh, are just incredible, incredible elk hunters, elk callers, and stuff. And you invited me to be amongst that. And, you know, Chris and those guys. Um, it was one of the, the greatest compliments that I ever received and a chance for me to share my passion and, uh, and, and to do this is always been an honor, dude. No, it's, it's, it's my honor. So I pre, I appreciate hearing that though. That's, that's awesome. So, uh, I really look up to you, man. So let's keep in touch <laughs> and we are, uh, we're going to have to do it again, obviously. Absolutely, man. we got a lot more to talk about. Yes, sir. All right, we'll uh, stick on the line for just a minute. But again, thanks again. Guys, check it out. Uh, there's going to be the links both to the Instagram and on uh, the elkbros.com website is going to be in the show notes there. Feel free to, or I would encourage you, rather, uh, to, to check that out and, and uh, be sure to add all this information. Uh, fill that mental toolbox because September is two and a half months away, depending on when you're listening to this. And uh, it's going to sneak up on, especially as you get older, you realize two and a half months is is like nothing. So uh, I hope you guys are, what was that, Joe? The first person that emails you, Jim, and make sure you give them the email. The first person that emails you and said, I love the school of September. I want their name, their address, and they're going to get a a free one-year subscription to the Academy. Say say that one more, that they're going to get a free what? Free one-year subscription to uh, to the academy to our base camp uh, online course. Oh heck yeah! Well, you guys heard it. That's right out of Joe's mouth. Jim at thewesternhuntsman dot com. What do they have to email you? Or they got to tell you, I love the school of September. All right, I love it, man. That's awesome. That's uh, guys, you need to uh, take advantage of that. That's uh, that's really cool. So, thanks again, Joe. This has been awesome. You bet, man. You made it. That's the end of the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please make sure you're following us on Instagram at the Western Huntsman and write us a good review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.